Welcome to episode 61 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you have not listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our second batch of games from issue 28 of Zap 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were delighted by Defender of the Crown, maddened by Magmax and turned off by Twin Tornado. This week we conclude our look at the games in August 1987, along with a special snippet from one of our Patreon-only releases. So Graham, tell us what we have going on in this episode. In this brand new 24-hour gym with angry dumbbell-dropping man-babies, overly aggressive spine-popping deadlifting teenagers, glute-exploding squat-lifting she-hulks, and a peculiar smell of urine, ammonia, and protein-powered eggy farts of an episode. We sneak about the high-res rooms of Blacktooth trying to cause an interplanetary isometric revolution in the clever tag-team world of Head Over Heels, go on a blocky, badly-made left-and-right scrolling runabout in the shoddy duo-only arcade conversion catastrophe of Quartet, and read the boring electronic book, listen to the weird audio tape, and then shout expletives at the uncontrollable game turd burger challenge of the GoBots. We also strap ourselves in as another top-down shoot-em-up attempts to take a massive dump on our self-confidence with the arm-chewingly difficult Hades Nebula, polish our 8-bit crash helmets and look shifty before jumping on our whistle-powered motorbikes for an angular race in max torque, before ditching our waspomatic bikes altogether and heading to the weird world of 8-bit comic book publishing for some unusual multi-game action with the piggy-fused Oink. If that superset of dumbbell arm curls hasn't given you enough muscle pump and you feel like dry scooping some protein powder might be the way to maximise your hulky gains. We dive into our best robotic bomb spewing spider egg on a mission to kill some flies and bees in the outright bizarre Armorote. Head back into arcade land for some proto-endless running and jumping in the interesting Metrocross. Float around the dull rooms and explore the locked doors of a spaceship looking for something to actually do in the mind-numbing raster scan before finally stepping into yet another arcade conversion and yet another top-down shooter, this time with an odd array of downgrades in the weirdly titled Slap Fight. There are some nasty arcade conversions in that lot. It makes me think of those times when you'd see a used condom on the ground in the local dog walking park. Who did that and why is it there? Thankfully, we may never know. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, cool. Cool beans. <laughs> yes, cool. Cool, cool beans. beans. Cool beans. Um, cool beans. Yeah. Um, we normally stick this. I'm just going to stick this bit right at the beginning, actually, because normally we stick it at the end, and I'm thinking that people turn off by then. We I have a Patreon, as we've said. Um, if you wish to sign up for the Patreon, let's just get it out of the way now, and I'll probably then I'll, I'll probably say right. that anyway. So we have a Patreon. There are two tiers. Um, if you wish to donate like a quid. Or the equivalent of a quid then that's grand and keeps us going and you know that's cool we really appreciate that there's a higher tier which is the price of a pint of beer roughly and that gets you access to our discord and things like that um and the special patreon you'll hear a snippet from one of our patreon only releases in the middle of this 
and you hear the full version. You get the episodes early, uh, Discord. There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, weekly challenges, it's going on. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It's crazy. Good stuff. It is. If you don't fancy doing either of those things, um, then could you take a, a minute or so just to rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google, wherever you're listening to this? Because I know Graham always says at the end, it helps us somehow. We're not sure how, but there's an algorithm somewhere that's cranking those numbers out. And when you put a, a review in, as long as it's a good one, it goes, yeah, yeah, we pushed that, we pushed that podcast up. Or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm imagining that the algorithm is speaks like that. I'm hoping it does. In my head, they all speak in, in different tones. And, I, and they have conversations <laughs> with each of these algorithms. Completely different languages by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, they speak in tongues. Um, the, the language of algorithm. Algorithm? Algorithm. <laughs> Al- algorithm. Al- even I can't even say it. Algorithm. There's no al. Is, al- is it algorithm or is it al- No, it's al- algorithm. Yes, algorithm. Al- it is an algorithm, isn't it? Yes. God- God damn this world. <laughs> but anyway, if you could do that, it would be great um, for some reason, because then people would see our podcast pop up elsewhere and things. I might listen to us and whatever. I mean, they'd obviously have to have an interest in Commodore 64 games. So, uh, you know, it's a, not a niche audience, but it's, it's our, you know, it's those guys in it. So, but if you could do it, that would be cool. Anyway, there you go. That's that out of the way. You got anything to add to that? I don't think you have. No, you? no, no, I don't. All right, cool. There you go. I usually say that at the end, but I thought I'd get it in now. Uh, right, let's crack on. We've got 10 games this episode, rounding off issue 28, August 1987. So let's crack into them uh, with the first one. And this was a big one. It is a very big one. It is the first gold medal of the year. The first. I can't believe the gold medal of the year. No, I can't. It's crazy. Uh, so, Graham, were you head over heels with head over heels? Head over heels is actually... It's just quite, there's an interesting, there's a whole load of interesting stuff about this. There's loads written about it. It's one of those games that's been converted to pretty much everything. It scored massively high in almost every magazine's app, Crash, whatever the Amstrad version was. What was the Amstrad? Was it Bang? <laughs> anyway, whatever that was. Um, uh, am- Antics. So, Antics, of course it was. Antics, yeah. So let's just get the credits out of the way. So the creator of Head Over Heels, or the creator, creators, are John, Ro- John Rittman, John Reitman, and Bernie Drummond. So they created the, the design the game. Um, it was produced by DC Ward. It was published by Ocean. Um, it was coded for the C64 by Colin Porch. Um, interesting chap. There's a good interview with Colin Porch in the Ocean History book, and um, where he actually talks about his experience with right, uh, coding Head Over Heels. And I'll come to sort of a little bit of that later. I didn't, I'm not going to go too far into that, but it's coded by Colin Porch. Title screen, Jane Lowe. And the musician, Peter Clark. Peter Clark, everyone. Peter Clark. Hi. So... There's your credits. Head of Hills is actually the second isometric game designed and developed, designed by John Reitman and Bernie Drummond, because they did the a game that never came out on the C64, which was the isometric Batman computer game. Um, it's not mm, called isometric did. Batman, because that would be, <laughs> <laughs> be stupid. That would be just stupid. Yeah, Although it's supposed to be really weird. <laughs> isometric Batman. He's looking left. He can't get us. The isometric anyway. Batman. Exactly. <laughs> the light can only shine at certain angles in the sky. Anyway, <laughs> um, that was a, that was released back in 1986. So, head over heels then. What's it all about? Let's just go into the story. Now, before I dive into too far, this is a lot to cover with head over heels because there's a lot to it. I've summarized this as, as best as I possibly can, and we'll sort of go into the sort of the me- mechanics in the games first. But the Blacktooth Empire consists of four worlds: that is, Penitentiary, Safari, Bookworld, and Egyptus. It's actually five, technically, if you encounter, if you add the world of Blacktooth itself. But that's the evil, despotic fifth planet 
that is actually completely controlling all the other planets. So it's an enslaved empire, the Black Tooth Empire. The slave worlds are all unhappy, but they live in fear of the Black Tooth rulers. And they all lack the leadership on their own worlds to gather enough momentum for an uprising. It just sounds like they're all, you know, content to be overruled and, and beaten down. Um, Blacktooth itself is equally controlled by um, some nasty leaders as well, and there are no revolutions as such on the cards at all. So people in the neighbouring star <laughs> galaxies, you know, so it's just everyone's kind of repressed. <laughs> Any revolutions on the cards, but no, I've got nothing planned. No, it's, no, it's nothing, nothing planned. planned. We, don't, nope. we, don't have the lead, we don't have the leadership. Nah. To be fair, no one can be bothered. Um, <laughs> so the, the people of the neighbouring stars or the neighbouring star galaxies are getting worried about the signs of military expansion from Blacktooth. And so they've sent a spy from the planet Freedom, or spies from the planet Freedom, to see if they can push the slave planets into full rebellion by finding the lost crowns and then um, returning them back to their original planets to inspire them to become less, what's the word, lazy and more, what's the word, active. <laughs> <laughs> be a bit more revolutionary should we yeah, say yeah exactly yeah so just go, look go at his crown seeing that crown's making me think about revolution and it would <laughs> maybe that's how it works anyway so the creatures of freedom the planet freedom are very strange in that they are formed from a pair of symbolic or symbiotic sorry animals that have adapted to operate either independently or to their mutual advantage so they can join together as one Hedus Mathian, or head, and is can be saddled on Futus Undarium. That's heels. So that's their names. And that is actually their name. And they're both highly trained spies. And so head and heel head, head and heels, who you're going to play in the game, uh, sent to Blacktooth to try and instigate such instigate the rebellion and do all that stuff. However, the plan goes immediately wrong and they're captured and separated, imprisoned in the castle headquarters of Blacktooth. Your job, once the game starts, is to get them out of the castle and to the marketplace so they can join up again. Once, they do, once they've joined up from there, you can journey to the moon base headquarters where you can decide at that point whether you escape back to freedom or, or become a true hero and teleport to the slow planets, search for the lost crowns, and overthrow the dictatorship. To overthrow that dictatorship and any of the slow planets would be a massive blow to Blacktooth, and so and you could return to freedom in all of its in all of your glory. The populace of Blacktooth are so heavily oppressed that they would have to see all four of the slave planets revolt before the Blacktooth crown could cause an uprising. So you've got to do and get the crowns for all four of the worlds before you can tackle the Blacktooth planet. This, of course, would be the ultimate accolade, but unfortunately, and in this game, it's almost certain suicide. So the game in this game you've got to control the two characters head and heels instead of just one with and each has different abilities. So head can obviously jump higher than heels, control himself in the air, and fire donuts from a hooter. Now we can all do that. Um, <laughs> I'm doing and it now. He can, and that enables him to be able to paralyze enemies. <laughs> heels can run twice as fast as head. Um, he can climb certain staircases that head cannot, which is odd since he can jump and anyway it doesn't matter. Let's just let's forgo that. And he can carry objects around in his bag because he's the bag carrier. He's the one with the bag. So you get the idea. Head can do stuff. Heels can do stuff. They start separately in there, and so you've got to try and find a way of getting them back together. So the abilities become complementary when the players are combined after uh, when you combine them. And after com- that's normally after completing about a sixth of the game. So you don't even get really to play head and heels together till quite a way in. The game offers unique gameplay, complex puzzles, and there's over 300 rooms to explore. It's a big old game. The games often contain puzzles mm-hmm. and challenges, some with enemies, some with bonus items. You can collect bunnies in this game, and each of those gives you additional abilities like jumping higher or running faster, if that's to chance who you pick those bunnies up with. If you pick up the running faster one as head, it doesn't work. Likewise, if you do it as heels and you get the other one, it doesn't work. If you're paired at the time, so if you're stood, if 
head is stood on heels, his shoulders. Um, if you he pick up no the bunnies, they, well, if you stand on his head, um, it <laughs> applies to you both. So if you get the bunnies, they actually give you both of those things at the same time. You can also get ones that give you extra lives and invulnerability. Um, so it does depend on which character you are, or indeed if you've joined, how beneficial they are to you. There's also reincarnation fish that allow you to respawn from specific points in the game. Um, you don't really kill enemies, and there's a lot of different enemies to go at, but you can't really kill them. So you can really just slow them down by firing lots of donuts at them, which you can pick up periodically from different areas in the game. You pick them up in boxes of six, and when you fire them, it sticks to them and slows them down so you can actually sort of navigate your way around. So you get weird enemies like Daleks in there. They even use the word Dalek, which I wasn't sure you were allowed to do, but they call them Daleks. Um, but one of them has, they have like weird different heads on top of Dalek bodies. Like there's one that looks a bit like Prince Charles, there's elephants, there's, mm. there's also homing droids. They're scattered around all over the place, designed to either annoy you, frustrate you, get in the way, or cause you to instantly drop dead at certain points when you touch them, which is annoying. Um, so you can, as I said, head can fire donuts, which you can pick up. You have to pick up both that and the air horn um, So in order to fire the donuts. And then obviously that slows things down. Heels can't fire donuts though. So you need to be careful when they're separated, but you can carry things in his bag, of course, which is useful, but you can only <laughs> carry things. From, you can't carry things from room to room. So you can only carry things in room. I would argue that's not a useful bag. Apparently it's got a hole in it. That's the a bag crap with the hole bag. in it. Yeah, it's a, it's a rubbish bag. So, that's a, yeah. it, so I don't know. Sometimes the little bits of logic sort of escape. It sounds like it escaped out of somebody's bag. Mm, bag anyway, with two holes is a tube. The rooms themselves have objects that will kill you, platforms that vanish, a whole host of trickery making your job all the more difficult. As you get further into the game, you encounter teleports that can take you between the worlds. You actually, oddly enough, start in prison, but there's a teleport right in your room. I'm not sure quite who put that there or why. Seems counterproductive to imprison people in rooms with teleporters, but <laughs> what do I know? Um, as you get, So as I say, as you get further in the game, you'll encounter more of those. Um, you actually need to navigate them in order to go between the worlds. And if all that, like I say, all that seems too much, you can just choose to escape, remember. You don't have to try and create the uprising. Um, each of the worlds that you encounter are differently themed if that if you choose to go for the whole revolution mission uh, with more difficult enemies and obstacles. Each one has some really quite unique and difficult challenges and you, you need to unite with head and heels on most of those to defeat the final uh, to defeat the enemies and some of the um, problems that you're going to encounter. More importantly, the final planet Blacktooth contains the final boss, which is the Emperor's Guardian, um, and that allows you to complete the game if you manage to defeat them. That is um, apparently one of the most difficult things to defeat in the entire game. I suppose it would be, given it's the final boss. We hope so. So that's the, the game itself, the story and how it plays out and everything else. So it's generally, it's an isometric game in that kind of isometric tradition, sort of two-color isometric, similar in style. And if you imagine, there's loads of isometric games. That, for some reason, every single isometric game literally escaped my mind when I was writing all this. Um, so, but if you imagine like that kind of great <laughs> escape, that kind of... Um, Nosferatu, that just that kind of high res isometric look that you, you get. Now, this doesn't scroll in this game. There's no scrolling in it. It's all single screen rooms in that isometric tradition. Mm, yeah. So at least you don't have that horrible juddery scrolling. So this is kind of a flip screen game. So no jerky scrolling. That's a plus. Um, each room is, ex I think, exceptionally well drawn in the way that Nosferatu has that kind of high res detailing that goes on. And the, your rendered characters are controlled with a joystick and with some limited keys as well particularly obviously the key that where you can switch between head and heel. So you can switch between them as you play, which is quite nice. That the way it works quite quick ish. It's one of the faster isometric games on the C64. Now that isn't saying a lot because it, it's faster, <laughs> but it's not the fastest. And I didn't get massively far into it. I did actually go and play this for quite a bit, but I didn't get so far into it where I encountered massive frame rate issues. I just would expect them to exist. I don't think there's a way that this game could have been done without encountering them at some point somewhere. 
more you have on the screen with these kind of games, you know for a fact that there's going to be some kind of frame rate issue somewhere. Now, they make a point of saying in the Zap review that it doesn't have any of that. It's amazing. Fastest game so far. Isometric brilliance. Finally, finally, blah, blah, blah. I get all of that. But if you ever go and play the Spectrum or the Amstrad version, I can tell you the Commodore 64 version is by and far the slowest. The other two are like, like Grease Lightning, especially when you play Heels, who runs fast anyway. It's not terribly slow on the C64, but it's nowhere near as optimized as it is on those other platforms. But the processor's slower on the C64. You'd have to mm-hmm. expect it, wouldn't you? So it's compared to the other versions, namely the Spectrum and the Amstrad, um, the C64 is outperformed. The player is quite big. Both head and heels are quite cute. If that is your idea of cuteness, you know, it's kind of a, a face with a feet, feet really, I suppose. I'm not, I wouldn't say they were cute, but I suppose they are in a game character way. Um, and the whole game has quite a nice feel to it. It's kind of a pleasant game to play. There's no blood guts. There's no Frankenstein, so you're not going to go six moves in and get crushed by a wolf or something. Um, <laughs> so it kind of plays quite nicely. There's a nice feel to it. The sound is a bit overwhelming, as everything in this game makes a noise of some description. So walking makes a noise, jumping noise, falling noise, picking things up, death, respawning, teleports, even walking in a room, you get a little mini jingle. Um, so it's orally, oh. di- it's, oh. orally <laughs> it's orally diverse, and that can become annoying. You can mitigate that in the controls for the game, but it, if it's either going to get you screaming and running out the room in, in anger, or you just turn the sound off. Um, but I don't think the same silent game of this type is really going to work. So I think you're just going to have to sort of, if you're going to go for it, 300 screens of kind of thing. Did you, you're try, get a lot did of you try the middle middle sound setting? Because there's three, isn't there? There's all yeah. of it. Not so much. And then... Yeah, and yeah, I, tried, yeah. I tried to put it on not so much. And it was... I didn't notice a massive difference. Yeah, okay. So I was just thinking there must be a whole batch of sounds that, you know, I don't know. Um, but I quite, I quite like... It kind of makes the game feel a bit more complete because of all of that. So you do get the mini jingles and stuff like that. As you've noted on other platforms, um, they were a bit faster. So the kind of the into the room and the jingle is kind of over with so quickly that it's almost you know you don't feel bothered by it. The C sixty four because of that little slowdown in there, you do start to they do start to grate. I think after a while. Um, so the game controls well. It is pretty responsive. I have, like I said, I think the frame rate is going to suffer on the C sixty four if too much is happening, but it's bright. The game is quite bright and quite nice. You've got plenty to go out on the screen. It's fun. It's quite challenging. The arcade adventure stuff. There's a little. Sometimes there's silly payoffs. So there's a little, little bit too many insta deaths. A little too, a little bit too many trial and error moments in this. You get plenty of lives to go at, but there is a little bit of trial and error. So you'll go and jump off some platforms, and they disappear from under you. And if you don't happen to know which direction you go, you're not going to make it. So there's a little bit of that, and you'll only maybe make these mistakes a few times, figure it out. Then when you go back to that room, you're going to know what to do. Um, there's a lot of detail. There's loads to go at here. The, the puzzles in the game are not obtuse, but they're quite, they can get complicated when you've got more characters to think about. And remember, you've got to play this game over all these worlds, and the whole game is revolution, revolution. Well, that's a big, big goal for a game with two little characters and two, you know, that's set in the screen. So I'm, I've, my only, if they're going to have criticisms of it, I think sometimes that the game idea sort of overwhelms the actual cuteness of what you actually are. So you're playing these cute little characters in these maze-type environments who have got to find five crowns to cause a revolution. It just seems a bit big, a big goal for such a small kind of window into it. I don't know. Maybe that's just my take on it. But um, I don't think you'd ever be bored playing this. And I'll, and and or maybe you'd eventually get tired of the music and the sounds. But I don't know if this game's got enough enough to go at. Certainly for your avid mappers and people like that, they're all going to be frothing at the pants over a game with 300 isometric screens <laughs> that are sat there right now going isometric. Uh. So they're all going to be digging that. The opening title screen's really nice, decent music. The production of the game is slick. It's as slick as the other versions, but it's just a little bit slower. So it's easily the best isometric game I think I've seen on the C64 so far. Um, if you take Last Ninja out as a different kind of isometric game, so this type, of this high-res type, 
Mm-hmm. I think this is probably the best one of these I've seen. And I actually enjoyed revisiting it. Now, I, originally, I didn't think much to it at all. But way back when it came out, I remember all the Ferrari of Head Over Heels and they really were pushing the cute characters thing. And I remember reading the Zach review and thinking, this is 98%. This must be quite good. And when I got it, I was a bit underwhelmed with it. I think because I don't really generally like these games and I just don't dig them. So I thought I'd really give this a go because, you know, this is the big, this is the big, you know, super best isometric. This is the best one. If you're going to like any of them, it's going to be this one. It's got at least got a little bit of the speed and a bit of the wherewithal. So I went at it in that manner and I actually quite enjoyed playing it and revisiting it. I didn't go for its cuteness and I thought the game story was too big for it. But right at its heart, there's a nicely designed game with lots to go at and and interesting and, and cutesy kind of graphics and characters. And it didn't, in my experience of it, slow down so much that it made me want to throw my C64 out the window, which many of the other <laughs> ones have. So I think this is a really beautifully constructed game, finally showing that the Commodore 64 is capable of some reasonable high-res isometric game gaming. But if you were going to play it, as we said about um, many of these other isometric games, you're not going to play it on the C64. If you want the optimal version, I would suggest Amstrad, Sinclair Spectrum, and then C64. But of course, at the time, we didn't all have the opportunity to just go and buy lots of computers and just, you know, I don't want to play it on this, Dad. Fine, here's a Spectrum. Try out on that instead. Don't have that kind of <laughs> logic, do we? We no. benefits of modern thingies that we have, modern emulators. We can, you know, choose which platform. However... I thought this was quite an interesting game and it certainly was worth going back to and I did enjoy that. So I quite quite like Head Over Heels, which really surprised me because I didn't think I would. What about you? Yeah, I don't have a lot more to add to that. I think I'm a, I'm not into it as much as you are. They just don't do it for me, these kind of things. This is more interesting than what we've seen so far because of the uh, dual control method and the two characters having um, different uh, characteristics. So you can come at the puzzles in, in different ways and you can sort of gauge your progression. You can just set off as, do you start off as head? I think you start off as head, don't you? Um, it's doing you can, the thing. Yeah, you, you do. Can, you start off as head. Yeah. You start off there, but you can immediately switch to heels and just go off as him yep. if you want. So that, I quite I quite like that sort of free form freedom approach that you kind of do have. And that's that's nice. I think that's... that's uh, a quite interesting design decision for what is 1987 so over you know 35 years ago whatever that's uh, that's really quite interesting um it's not as good as it is on the other platforms i said that the ditty will drive you mad it every time especially if you get in a bit of a screen to screen to screen quickly it is i was starting to lose my mind a little bit <laughs> with that with that ditty going on because it is slow because it, it because of the nature of the game and the nature of the, the speed that it runs at and I don't, I don't know why the music has to be. I don't know the ins and outs of the technical side of this, but I don't know why the music is also slowed down because of the game being slower. It seems weird to me. I, I thought the music would run at its own speed. Is that not the thing with the C64? I, I don't, I don't know because I thought the SID chip deals with the um, deals with the sound and plays it at the speed it needs to play at. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm. It's my inexperience. It all takes CPU time. Yeah, true. I guess, um, but I just, I just turn it off. Whatever it's doing, just, turn, just stop it. Stop it. I didn't like it. I didn't like that bit. The Amstrad version looked really nice um, in comparison. It's a really nice use of color on there. Um, although I did find a post on the thing you said the Amstrad looked ugly and the colors were all wrong. It's like it's just Alien Worlds. They are a bit odd colors in that. Weird, but you know, I kind of like it. It's more interesting. Yellow apples. I'm all for it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's not. It's not going to be a game that's going to float my boat totally but it's not it's like you said it moves at a decent click if not as fast as the other machines the controls are quite nice the puzzles are all right the navigation for some of the screens it can be a bit tricky uh, in places and when you kind of work some of the puzzles out like with the there's, there's lots of sort of mechanics like within each uh, within each screen like with this um, you know 
um, there's the moving platforms, so the floating platforms. There's platforms that have uh, you know uh, conveyor belts on them, which will move you and things things of that. You're trying to sort of navigate around. There's disappearing platforms. There's loads of different things to pick up. I didn't notice any difference in the bunny rabbits, whether I'm supposed to to know actually. Is there a difference in them to know what to what, what to pick up? Yeah, uh, I, I only ever picked up one set of them, so I wouldn't know. To, well, I picked up one counts. that allowed me his heels to go fast. No, did it was heels? No, it was head. I think going to go faster, which was weird. Head, head, head won't go faster. Oh right, well it gave me some steps or something. Every time I moved, there was a countdown going down. Oh, um, I then I picked up another one that gave me some lives. I couldn't notice anything visually from a different. Um, Say different... lives or limes. Lives. If it had given oh. me more limes, I'd be all for that. I did get to the fruit and I got to the fruit and vegetable levels. Yeah, the market. Did you get to you got them? to the market. Yeah, I got to the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to them. It's kind of kind of, kind of turned weird. That's not what I was expecting. Well, that's where you can join them together if you meet them all. All ah, right. Okay. Um, and I think one of the things that you are bang on the money is that this doesn't need that overall plot. No, I didn't think it, that. It, it's it's strange because it's a nothing about this game yells. Trotsky, Che Guevara, <laughs> Lenin, you know, revolution, you know, Rasputin, all that kind of stuff. Just don't, just don't yell it at me. No, I'm like, what no, I'm, and I didn't know anything about that story. I went into the game just to play it as a game. Avoid mm. story. I know what I'm supposed to do. Collect stuff. I looked at, okay, got to collect the crowds. It's a puzzle solving game. You can kind of work your way through it. You know, you, you don't need that much. But when you started spelling out that story, I was like, have I played the right game? Yeah. Um, because that's all very overwrought. And, and jaunty jingles and peas with face or dogs dog balls with faces and feet is it's just yeah, not weird not not the kind of thing for revolution it's surreal i don't know it is a very strange game for um very strange plot line uh, it's all right i mean i'm not gonna i, I don't know i would never give it 98 percent. it's never gonna get that from me but i can kind of see why because the design of it i think is very clever and i think that's what that's what sells yes. it and i think if yes, all, all you had at 1987 this is the best isometric you know if you were looking at those other machines and I imagine they were because there were some of the other machines. You're looking at them going, oh, they're getting all these games and they're really good and they're fast and everything like that. And you kind of want it to. So I can kind of see that it's like, finally, we've got one that's almost there. Let's just praise it. It's like, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. It's all right. I'm not head over heels with it. Like I said, it's all right. Hey. I'm, more, I'm, I'm, more, I'm, more like, I'm more like shoulders over knees. Yeah. I mean, just a, an interesting little detail that Colin Portu, obviously, who coded this, he basically was. When he was working at Ocean, he was one of the oldest programmers they had. I think he was 40 when he was hired, and he'd worked for Software Projects, I think, before that. Right. And then he'd also worked for Imagine. And um, he was basically shown um, the version on the Amstrad and said, you know, is this possible on the C64? And he was like, okay, well, normally these things are quite difficult. So he got the original Z80 code from the original person who programmed it and went through it line by line. And what you'll play on the C64 is a, is a 6502 recreation of that code, pretty much logic line for logic line which kind of explains why it looks and runs the way it did he's obviously optimized bits of it but i thought that's quite an interesting approach he just methodically went through the z80 code and just made a c64 version of that and they liked it so much and then he actually coded the st and the amiga version off his own back just for i guess for something to do and ocean bought them off him um, Mm -hmm. and then subsequently said we think you should go freelance mate and he's like i don't want to be freelance you're freelance now (laughs) and that's true honestly this is how they treated him that's exactly how they treated him they said, you're freelance now. And he's like, right, okay, you're freelance. Oh, we don't need you anymore, thanks. That was the end of that. That's awful. What an awful what an awful company they really were, as we are finding out. If you read into some of the stuff in that Ocean History book, there's a, the interviews, a lot of them seem to end that way. So Wow. 
Anyway, God, that's, that's awful. That, that's um, awful stuff. I think given the parameters of what he had to do, do I think Colin Porch did an amazing job with that. Yeah, um, absolutely. He also yeah. did a couple of other C64. So he did, um, he did Operation he did Wolf. Double, did double take, didn't he? Double take, yeah. He apparently doesn't remember, coding, doesn't remember much about coding that, according to the interview. He, that's because he got it from another dimension. Exactly, another dimension. And what did he do when he saw it? He was so surprised he did a double take. <laughs> hey! Hey! Anyway. Have here all week. <laughs> uh, so there you shame. go. So, so there you go. Another interesting ocean game, but it stuns. It stuns me. Anyone work for them? You read. The, you read. I mean, they've obviously got a lot of sway and licenses well, and stuff. The more the I thing, read into that book, the more you realise that this is a company that seems to really treat its staff terribly. Yeah, I think the thing. I mean, there's there's no. You didn't hear anything about it, did you? You just kids going in offered no. a job, and you, there was no internet for. There was no like website to say the glass ceiling glass door whatever it was called that's it that yeah. website where you can leave bad reviews for your previous employer oh yeah um, we hate ocean.com <laughs> that's the one <laughs> ocean our, ocean our crap.net <laughs> <laughs> oh dear anyway we don't care they don't exist anymore what do i care no they don't no. they don't there you go head over heels pretty good yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's come let's move yeah. along because the next one bloody well isn't Because the next one is Quartet. Full pricer from Activision. It's another Activision arcade conversion, and it's a port of the Sega's Sega's 1986 four-player game, Quartet. Four-player, Quartet, the clues in the name. So in Quartet, the arcade game, and I suppose in this well, you can play as either Joe, Mary, Lee, or Edgar. They went to town with the names there. Um <laughs> Hero names, if ever I heard <laughs> Absolutely. Them. As you attempt to rescue a space colony from terrorists or an army of robots. I couldn't, I, I, was, I found plots for different plots for it. So I was like, hey, you, you, you t- you're saving something from someone or whatever. Point is, what we have here is a game set of a 22 bi directional side scrolling levels where you've just got to shoot everything that moves as you jump from platform to platform. So it's kind of a shooty platformer type thing. So think Contra, I guess. Is the something you know that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, um, yeah. Platform twelve. So you get to the end and you shoot the end boss who is holding the key to the exit, which allows you to move on to the next level and so on and so on. That's what you do. Some of the levels are on the surface of the planet and they have a blue background, and some of them are underground and they have a brown background. Some of them uh, seem to be levels that are blue but not sky. But the visuals are the, in this are poor, and so it's hard to know exactly what that background is because they are very very bad. In fact, saying this is poor is being kind. So whilst whilst not the arcade game is not amazing, its draw was its four-player co-op. So like Gauntlet, you know, those kind of games were turning up at this point. So four-player co-op blasting, which made it into a fun game and hence the name Quartet. So there's four of you around the arcade shooting stuff and oh, that's a good laugh. Here we have Duet. It's only possible to play two-player. So, you know, that's the, the game, the name doesn't stand up once you've only got two players. But it's not like you would want to really play this as the issues with this game are many and varied. The sprites are indistinct and poor. All of them. All of them. From the player sprites to the enemy, they're all blocky, badly animated, and they move poorly. The end bosses are blocky monstrosities. There are power-ups, I think. You run over them, but they seem to do nothing as you continually shoot the same short-range characters all the time. When I say characters, I mean character sprites, character graphics. It's just that's what you shoot. The background visuals are terrible and poorly realized. And there's an attempt at a pseudo 3D that does not work at all because the platforms kind of end mid-graphic. The graphic, the controls are rubbish with really floaty jumps that don't seem to really do anything. And the scrolling is too slow to keep up with the action. 
and quite often you reach the right or left hand side of the screen waiting for the the uh, scrolling to actually catch up with you uh there's also horrendous and i do mean horrendous slow down whenever you get more than a couple of sprites on screen as well to such an extent that it drops into single figure frames and it's also really easy there's no challenge whatsoever to just walk through the levels and the bosses have prescribed patterns of movement so they'll sort of move from point a to point b so you could just stand off to the right of point b and just or the left of point a whatever and just keep hammering the fire button and it'll just eventually they'll die and drop the key and you move on it's stupidly easy so crap really the music by dave whitaker is the only vaguely saving grace it's all right there's some nice tunes he's done i think they're ports from the arcade but this is a calamity of a conversion that is awful to look at and awful to play this is a shockingly bad release that once again challenges the other shit conversions we've had for the worst poor accolade and i thought and i thought to myself we may need a new category in this year's awards i have to say exactly the same thing i had to say exactly the same thought the worst port award we need to have that i think because this and i think we're that's going to be one of the hardest fought ones we're going to have this year because this is truly awful 15 percent it got and that's being kind crap crap tech whatever awful shit what did you think it's embarrassing this it's an embarrassing thing everything about this is embarrassing it's embarrassingly priced at, at full price at t- 10 pound 10 pounds of this honestly you have just been literally bummed. Like, you know, it's raw, red raw bummage, that. <laughs> you've been rammed up the quartet. You, are, you really have. You've, you've, been, you've been quadded. Um, it's utterly terrible in every single way. It's just, it's just, it's just terrible. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, there's nothing to add to what you've said other than to just agree with you. It's very poor, badly drawn, terrible graphics, bad sprites, naff floaty controls. Enemies had no logic whatsoever. They're just there. Yeah, poorly created I mean. backgrounds, lumpen gameplay. It's just dreadful, utterly, utterly dreadful. The fact that this was full price is tragic. The fact that it got fifteen percent is tragic. I would have given this zero. This should be. You now we we said some time ago. We'll get what game it was then that they should reserve a zero rating for the games that are truly, utterly shit. I think it was that Jailbreak game. We said this is just crap, just mm-hmm. terrible, terrible thing. So and the arcade is nothing brilliant. It's to go by either. I have to say, I never liked Quartet, but as you rightly point out. It was just a four-player shooty thing. All right, mm. but if you even at its even at that simple level of two-player version of that, the C sixty four is more than capable of delivering it. Mm. You know, it's not doing anything so revolutionary on a. And considering this is arcade hardware, this is actually low hanging fruit in terms of what you could convert and how you could convert it. This shoot 'em ups that are doing this much faster, much better. I mean, if you take out some of the logic, this is just a side scroll and shoot 'em up. It's just crap. It's utterly, utterly utterly crap Mm -hmm. and i think it ranks easily as if not the worst certainly one of the worst conversions of arcades on this platform that we have come across in the whole of this podcast and suspect may very well be one of the one of the real daggers this is this is the abdabs the screaming abdabs this of games this is (laughs) this game gives you the shits and not in a good way yeah this is it's just it's just bad in every way this is a pan browner it is. And it's embarrassing. The first thing I when I saw it, I'm like, this, what is this? This is just, just embarrassing. This and this is Activision? No. Cactivision is what it is. I know. It's really it's really strange, isn't it? I see what, what they were producing three who four did years they hire? I mean, goodness. Maybe who were they hiring Activision? Did they go out into some courtyard at a junior school or an infant school? Some kids are playing hopscotch and like, hey you guys, <laughs> can you, you ever thought about programming a game? Get on with it. Off you go. You know, we'll give you all the you know lollipops you can eat, and then you're freelance, the, and you're off to work for Ocean. <laughs> I don't know how this game came to be. I don't know how it came to. Be. I don't. I do not know how they came to be. How it would pass 
any kind of quality assurance process of any description. It cannot have been playtested unless they were drunk, blind, stoned, or all of those things, and then <laughs> thrown off a cliff. <laughs> it, it yeah. just—it should. This game should not ever have been published. It's ridiculous. I feel sorry for anyone that bought that. I mean, I'm, I would hope that they didn't if they saw it, but you know, it it might have looked possible in screenshots. I think from a distance, you know, and when I say distance, from here to you know Sheffield. <laughs> Um, so just the, no. the lesser known follow-up to from here to eternity <laughs> from I just here think to I, Sheffield I, I just I felt a genuine pang of sadness that a conversion of this type even exists on the Commodore 64 we've seen bad ones but this is really bad yeah really bad cacola. oh oh goodness let's spend no more time on it let's move along because no. crapper oh it's stinking up the place it stinks <laughs> it's, hopefully it the is. next game will make it stink less yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Graham, um did you uh did you, how did you how did you find did you pass the challenge of the GoBots on the, the challenge Mobius of the strip? GoBots? I said that's that's the extra bit. Sorry, I was sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you there. It's the challenge of the GoBots on the Mobius strip, is that the full I think yes, I think so, yeah, yeah. It's not gonna help this. This is a Tony Crowther game and um, with music from Ben Daglish and it's published by Reactor. Okay. So there's also this also came with an electronic book, mm. um, which details in in great detail the story and the plot of all of this, um, which was written by Kay Blake and Al Goodley, and it has obviously the graphics and code for that even were to our Tony Graver. So it came with its own electronic book. Exciting that it did that. So this is you know cool. <laughs> go bots, go go bots, yay! So I suppose we should really discuss what GoBots were and are, are and were. Go on, because there's a couple of funny details that will give you a chuckle about this. So. GoBots is a line of transforming robot toys, obviously, produced by Tonka um, from 1983 to 1987. They were similar to Hasbro's Transformers, similar as a word, um, although initially a separate and comp- a competing line of toys, Tonka's GoBots became the intellectual property of Hasbro, who owned the Transformers, after their buyout of Tonka in 1991. Weirdly, the fictional side of the IP was remained owned by Hasbro, but the toys and their likenesses were only licensed from Bandai, so Hasbro could never ever use the GoBots later in their likenesses and the toys. They just owned the fictional stories of the GoBots. How weird <laughs> is that? Just, it's just weird. IP law. IP it's law. Weird. I know, honestly. So GoBots are kind of a weird, weird thing. So this game is actually based on the Hanna-Barbera cartoon show of the toys, which was called Challenge of the GoBots. That ran for 65 22-minute episodes from 1984 to 1985. From 1984 to 1985, it ended in 1986. 65 episodes of this. I think I may be seeing one. Um, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I don't think I've seen any. So, okay. So the GoBots were basically a toy that was released in com- to either compete or maybe they were even before the Transformers. Who knows and who cares? Um, the game bears very little resemblance to anything to do with that anyway. So. <laughs> Yep. Um, so the story, a weird planet called Mobius has a- appeared near Saturn. On this planet is the evil Dr. Braxis and his army of bad dudes. From this planet, Dr. Braxis intends to attack the Earth and kill off the GoBots, his mortal enemies. Handy that, that they all on Earth. Uh, in an attempt to trick the GoBots into a trap, Dr. Braxis has orders his henchmen, Psykill and Crasher, <laughs> to capture um, capture the GoBot companions, Nick, AJ and Matt. So that's their human companions <laughs> that's as good as being, mary joe <laughs> lee and edgar <laughs> who end up being transported to mobius along with turbo one of their gobot friends so in the oh, rush handy. for cycle and crasher to capture they also inadvertently take a gobot with them damn it luckily before they were immobilized completely turbo managed to alert the other gobots and so leader one and his sidekick scooter 
immediately set off <laughs> to help them. And this is where it starts to get stupid. Are you ready? Yep. So for reasons that will remain stupid, upon arriving at Mobius, Scooter transformed into a load of clones, which double up as bombs, and scattered oh. himself across the surface of the planet. Handily, and in the absence of ammo, Leader One decides to use these Scooter clone bombs to destroy all of Dr. Braxis's bases. So you must fly around, pick up the Scooter clone bombs, and drop them on bases. Dr. Braxis has other ideas and unleashes Gog, Copter, and Crusher to thwart your bombing plans which turns this nightmare of stupidity into a Defender-style shoot-em-up. You can shoot the enemies, land and grab a rock, a grab a rock, um, and you can throw the rocks at the enemies. You can mm-hmm. also, um, once you've bombed enough of the bases, you can then call in a super bomb. It's just a, it's just a bloody nightmare. So that's the, it's a Defender-type clone wrapped in all of that go-bot garbage. Um, it's a bloody nightmare, this game. It's a bloody, bloody nightmare. It's basically uncontrollable. I mean, I, I do yep. not understand what freakish, crazy you would have to be on to instigate a control system that makes this game so unbelievably stupid. It's just uncontrollable. So there are parameters you can adjust, which is kind of akin to a skill level. But this is game is supposed to be made for kids. GoBots were a toy. No one's going to want to start a game and play with the gravity and the, you know, and the, all these weird settings to try and control this. And there's even a really easy cheat mode in the game as well, which I think if you just type in, I love Matt, I think you get a cheat mode as well. I think the problem with this is that they realized for quick, very quickly early on that the game was shit and that nobody would want to play it. And if even if you wrap this in GoBot pastry, no one's eating that because it's it's a pastry-covered dog shit. So it misses its demographic mark so extraordinarily. It's it's quite bizarre. I mean, for a game aimed at kids, it's too hard and it's no fun and the controls are stupid. For something that's aimed at GoBot fans, even with the electronic book and the weird audio tape recording it comes with, which is called <laughs> yep. the challenge and which is a really weird synth track all links will be in the show notes it's a complete miss for any gobot fans that may happen to not be you know age 10 so you've missing the point with your fans of the show this game cannot be aimed at those people because it's uncontrollable you as soon as you start the game your spaceship just bounces around and hits things you can land and you turn into what looked like a dyson vacuum cleaner <laughs> which is where you can pick up the scooters or the rocks and then throw bombs at things Nothing about this makes sense in any capacity. And then as soon as you take off, you're going to be dead within seconds. So you can't control it. You can't do anything. It's just such a massive miss. It's forgettable, but passable music as well. Ben Douglas isn't, you know, this isn't his greatest work. We'll come to better stuff from him. This is not terrible, 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 but it's just not very good. So bouncy controls, which make no sense whatsoever. Bad controls, some reasonable demo-ish kind of presentation, I suppose, but and the graphics are blocky-ish and... Maybe they're okay-ish, but I wouldn't say so. So passable, maybe visually. Um, but this is derivative of so many other better games that are cheaper than this as well. Just bah to this stupid nonsense. Take your GoBots, take your robots, and stick them up your poop shoot. That's this is rubbish. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's what was on his Christmas card after he gave that to someone as Christmas present. Um, he bought, he but bought what, them the what, tape. <laughs> what about you? What did you uh, think of Challenge of the GoBots? Well, I, I, my first sentence says it turned out the Challenge of the GoBots was just simply controlling them. Um, yeah, wild go-bots. Yeah, as the, as the game is nigh on impossible to play or controlling any meaningful way. So yes, it's another Tony Crowther game that's lacking the basics of control and no amount of secret menus and books and audio tapes or anything else is going to hide this. It is a nice bit of music. Uh, the visual animation are okay on the main ship, the way it turns and stuff, some nice, they're all right. It moves at a decent pace because it's programmed to Tony Crowther, so it's slick, I guess. But the inertia on the craft is just painful and it renders it un- unenjoyable to play and a Absolutely. chore to endure. Absolutely, yep. Um, there's a nice idea here for playing along both the top and bottom of the screen. Yeah. Um, 
uh, which I which I guess is kind of it's been nicked from Nemesis at this point. So you're combining that with the defender style yeah. wraparound gameplay. That's quite a good idea. There's an idea that sound. You know, we'll take that. It reminds both. me of Viridis Alpha did something similar in a sort of that similar. Thing. And Kettle didn't Kettle do something like that? Yeah, but in in Nemesis, you get enemies on both the top and bottom, don't you? Yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm thinking of that. And then if you wrap that into Defender, um, I mean, a Mobius strip is a it's a thing, isn't it? In space that loops back into itself, so it's in you know loops back round in itself. So basically, Defender. So where time becomes runs- a loop. Yeah, it becomes a loop. That. So it's that sort of. So I can t- see how they've tied to all this in. But you, if you can't control your ship and the bombs look like mobility scooters, then all the good ideas in the world aren't worth anything. <laughs> they do. They do look like mobility scooters. <laughs> yeah, they did. They look like mobility scooters. It's like at first I was. I didn't know. Again, I, I'm like, I'm not looking at this. I'm just going to play it. Um. So why am I picking up scooters as, as bombs? I just didn't understand it. But now you've 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 explained it to me that that one of the ca- it's not actually just a mist something. Clones. They're turbo clones of something called Scoot. This is stupid. This has become more stupid the more I've understood it. So, yes. no, this yes, is anything. As as you said, and as you guessed, I was going to say, no bots. Challenges <laughs> are no bots. Just just crap. No yes. bollocks. No bollocks. Bollock off. No, rubbish. I hated this. Yeah. Just couldn't control yeah. it. And to... It's not just that. You have to press the, those menus are hidden. You don't, yes, they no are. Sort of, yeah. So you have to press, you don't notion to play. If you want the hidden menu, it's press F5. I think it's F5 yeah. and F3 it is to get F5, the other one. Yeah, that's right. Um, just stupid. What a stupid game. Absolutely stupid. Hard and 10 to, quid. How hard is it to make transforming robots into a decent game? Apparently, only Ocean have managed it once. And they didn't really talk about it. Yeah, because they well, theirs is probably the only passable Transformers game. Ah, so far, we haven't looked at it. No, it's not, yeah. it's not, but it's certainly better than the Activision one that came later. It's, no, that's true. And this, this monstrosity of a thing. And what are those pictures you put in? We need to, I'll post these pictures. What are Because one looks like someone's having an electric piss. And this one looks like a, 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 ro- a, ro- a robot is, you know, a robot is going up where a GoBot's never been before to another robot. <laughs> yeah, he's going up his GoShoot, that one, I think. <laughs> Um, look, yes, that's from the electronic it. book. It's from the electronic book, which, by the way, goes on forever. It's page <laughs> after page after page of endless dialogue and discussion and the full story of our... It does, it does give you the full idea of what to do in the game. But You're telling you know, me that an anime has too much backstory? Yeah, <laughs> I suppose it is an anime, because the GoBots are kind of based on an early sort of Japanese robot thing, I think. Yeah, so. there you go. But in the original GoBots, well, not the original GoBots, but the things that they're based on, they actually have people in them. Like, you know, those giant mecha robots that are, you know, the Japanese, some of the Japanese cartoons. Is that what he's trying to pull well, out? No, in that there was picture? a decision. No, well, maybe. A decision was made at some point for the GoBots to have an AI as opposed to have people in them. But no, who made that decision? I don't know. Someone at Hasbro or someone at Tonka, uh, I guess. Just yeah, go, count go away bots. Just no. I imagine, like I imagine that there was some kind of battle, a bit like that one in Star Trek between the CEO of Tonka <laughs> and the CEO of. Hasbro. <laughs> In my mind, bet, that's happening bet, right now. I bet 13 Quaaludes on the, on the Tonka guy, because <laughs> he makes Tonka trucks, and they are indestructible. They are. Big, tough toys. For, I love Tonka we trucks. We can't, can't say it now, yeah. We can't say it now, can we? Yeah. yeah. Why can't we? Because they used to say big, tough toys for big, tough boys. But oh, they did, know. yeah. Well, I mean, you can say it. Just that's what it was back then. Where it just doesn't, you, you know, you can't get fun. LGBTQ plus and all that to rhyme so easily but. well anyway it, there were there were big yellow trucks and i liked them i never had one i always wanted one but i never, never had, had a tonka truck no no I had, I had one that i built a ramp and frisbeed it through the greenhouse that was the last time i ever saw it 
<laughs> just, well, the greenhouse, because they're indestructible. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it just destroyed the greenhouse. Graham, what yeah. you done to the greenhouse? It's still Tonk- going. It's been tonkered. We, once it hit that thing, it flew off into space and it's still out there. It's a bit like that Tesla car just floating <laughs> off. Probably somewhere near Saturn that right now, just uh, floating out there, sending back signals like Vija. <laughs> it's going to come back one day and look for missing whales. <laughs> What would it be called? If, actually, I know I'm mixing up my Star Trek, but it would be it would be Tunk, would it? If they took out the uh, the yeah, vowels, yeah, took out the vowels. Tunk yeah. has come back. Tunk, what is something Tunk? Tells tunk. Me, something, something tells me they wouldn't be overly worried about it if they just when it got right down to it. And never mind all the faint all the clouds. <laughs> once they got right down to the central core, there was just a small Tonka truck. <laughs> yeah, but if like it had grown, if, if <laughs> grown sentient. And called itself Tunk. I still don't think it's going to serve a great uh, universal purpose, other than to really help you move, you know, loads of dirt if you're no. if you're excavating. And but also, you know don't what? forget, don't forget as well that thing that thing in Star Trek Four is coming back when the two whales die. Space log. Yeah, it's coming yeah, back when yeah. the whales die. Yeah, they, 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 <laughs> luckily they were male and female whales, but you know you can't just put them in the ocean and expect things to happen. No, absolutely. Take them on a romantic dinner at least, or something, Kirk. Damn <laughs> they're not, it! They're not like rabbits. Whales I are don't. Not, not, not. You don't say, oh, you know, they're breeding like whales. That well, is it? not a common <laughs> occurrence. True. Not a common. There's saying. only two of them. You know, <laughs> eventually, like photocopies. Some of the children of yeah. those whales aren't going to be so bright, are they? I think you know, Kirk just thought they were just like him. I just think that you know, the seventh generation of whales from the same family—they're just going to be swimming ashore. And why do they keep beaching themselves? Because they're stupid. They forget that they're they're mammals in the sea. (laughs) (laughs) They're really fast, but stupid. (laughs) Instead of going wow, wow, they go oh. Then they'd be like, now we know why they were bloody extinct. Now we know why it happened. Oh, uh, never mind the space log. Just, you know, just pretend we're not Earth. Next time it comes, they have to be Earth, do you? Just say, sorry, you're wrong planet. In the 20th century, <laughs> why do you say he's dumb as a whale? Well. <laughs> I just think the idea this space log's just coming through the atmosphere. It's like, it's just send it the, we're not Earth planet. Like, speaking a funny language, space log, <laughs> this is not the planet Earth. You've got the wrong planet. This is a whale-free planet. Earth is seven planets to the left. Off you go. <laughs> space log. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Anyway. I digress. Yeah, charge of the GoBots. Yeah, absolutely. What is let's it? Mo- let's move along. We've got two more left. Uh, and our next one is another full price. There's a lot of full price ones this uh, this uh, episode. So we've got Hades Nebula, or Hades Nebula. How are we going to pronounce it? Hades Nebula. This is £10. I didn't make a note of who this was from because I don't care. According to the back of the case, though, there are four things you'll need to play Hades Nebula. Do you know that? Four things. Number one is a craving for really fast-moving and challenging shoot-em-ups. Two is awesome stamina in your fire button finger. Three is A1 vision to appreciate the graphics. And four, acute hearing to enjoy the Commodore music and effects or the funny little bleeps on the spectrum. <laughs> That's what the back of the box says. If you don't believe those four things, then it commands you to demand a demo right now from your storekeep, or, or, you know, shopkeep, whatever, which I don't think right. is the best thing to do. No, <laughs> Because I'm I not going to convince you to buy it. So anyway, Hades Nebula is another in the long line of vertical scrolling shmups we have seen. Uh, and this is one part Star Force and another part Terra Cresta. So at some indeterminate time, possibly in the past, maybe the future, Earth sought to find new energy sources by sending out a series of colony ships into space to find 
said resources. Cue the evil Emperor Hades of planet Sodini ambushing the ships in order to <laughs> enslave the crew and sell the ships for scrap. So you can't have that. And in your small ship, you set out to save the ships by blasting your way through the Hadean fleet of ships. I'm saying ship a lot here. And stop craft and stopping them from nicking your stuff. So basic plot. Who cares? So the levels see you navigating various different coloured craft ships spaceships and you are set upon by various enemy fighters who arrive in various waves and let fly at you so they're shooting like mad at you you've got to navigate these and destroy them it's a typical shoot up fashion so they come down in waves you shoot so on and so forth there's also land targets to shoot as well uh, some of which will spawn power-ups to be collected but be careful not to shoot them before you do because they are destructible uh, so those power-ups uh, that you can pick up are extra speed lasers power wings side rotaries front rotaries sound crap and tri lasers collecting these adds Mm. bits to your ship and gives you various extra abilities which are useful and necessary as this game is very very hard this there's a lot of games this episode which are very hard yep this is the first of them or well actually no gobots was the first of them this is another one of them so yeah so this is hard you set upon by multiple random waves at any one time so you don't get waves planned they're just they're all coming all of them, all the waves, all at once, it feels like. And a lot of bullets are fired at you, which you need to avoid. Um, and this is not offset by your shot speed, which is very, very slow. Mm. <laughs> and thus, you do not really have the firepower to combat the waves coming at you. And it's a shame, really, as it renders the game unenjoyable and robs it of what could have been something quite interesting. It also uh, slightly iffy in the collision detection. Uh, and I guess it's probably because there's, a, there's obviously a lot of sprite multiplexing going on here, I think, because there's lots of things moving on screen at once all over the place. And I think that that's probably affecting the sprite collision detection probably. And so, um, and to be fair, most of the, it's done without slowdown. There's not much slowdown in this. It's, it's pretty nippy. It's, it's okay. It's just, you're not, that's the problem. Um, and so, you know, it's just, you're not equipped to deal with how much is coming at you. So this was made by Mark Greenshields. He did split personalities before this and also Bombo. Um, and it had visuals by Ned Langman and music by We Music. They are a bit, a bit at the moment, aren't they? Those and Dave Whitaker, Ben Douglas and Dave Whitaker, they're everywhere. Um, I thought the level visuals were pretty decent. There's nice shading and the varied structures from level to level and it changes and there's quite right. The music's pretty decent as well. There is almost a decent shooter here, but it's the shooting part that lets it down. You just don't have enough of it, which renders you far too weak to deal with the oncoming onslaught. And it's a shame. If you had more bullets and slightly less enemies on screen, this would have been a whole lot better. Or if you picked up decent power-ups at a more frequent rate, um, I just kept getting extra speeds, which is like... Well, mm. that's not helping me shoot faster, which is what I need. And when I did get a tri laser, for a brief moment, this turned out all right. But then I was dead really quickly. Uh, it was, it was like I'd lost that. You know, oh, you've won the trouser press. Oh, you've lost the trouser press. It was literally <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> so that you know, if you'd have that, that, if it had done then more power ups, faster shooting, this would have been a solid shooter because technically it's pretty clever. As it is, though, it's just another technically decent attempt that could have done with a little more testing before release there's there's stuff to like here technically it's okay i mean it's not perfect a little bit but there's there's lots and lots moving and i think if you could just have the firepower to deal with that and i think you know they couldn't obviously you know that's where the that's where the uh, sacrifices were made it was just made in the wrong place i didn't hate this i just was frustrated by it because it's so hard because you can't deal with it what about you yeah same story blocky but reasonable graphics with nice backgrounds decent colors it moved fast um, I found so there were some glitches here and there, but, you know, so what? There was a few glitches, mainly 
looked like multiplex sprite issues. I think there's obviously they've got a nice multiplexer engine that was struggling a bit. That could have been my emulator for all the difference it makes. So decent top-down shooter, I suppose, or at least an attempt at one in the tradition of, well, there's loads of them in there, Light Force, Warhawk, all the ones you've named. Mm-hmm. The only thing here, aside from the presentation and the music, which is okay, it's, like you said, too frustratingly hard to get anywhere. Um, it's just implausibly difficult, which means you're, not, you're either exploiting it with a cheat to get anywhere or you're just switching it off. It's full price, and at full price, I think there's better top-down shoot-ups that are a little bit more forgiven and give you a little bit more opportunity to get into it. So it's a misfire, this, which is a shame because it had a really quite a nice look to this and quite a nice feel. Just, again, playtest your damn games um, and get mm. whoever it is you get to playtest them you know, assuming that it isn't, you know, genius shoot 'em up um, from you know, from the planet shoot 'em up. Get somebody human to play them, who, who will act, who will turn around to you and go, "It's too bloody hard," so that you yeah. can at least have a go at making it a bit easier, or mm. provide them with a you know a, a weapon system that actually upgrades as opposed to not doing anything. We'll come across another game that's similar a bit later, but yeah, it could have been something quite special, wouldn't it? It just misses the mark. Too hard, too difficult. What a shame. Yeah. It's just an it's just an also run. I think fifty odd. What do you get? Fifty five percent. Yeah, yeah. Bang, bang in the middle. Out, bang in yeah. the middle. Yeah. It's it's not. It's it's too frustrating to be enjoyable. Yeah. Um, I've been to I've been to the toilet experience that kind of thing as well. <laughs> so, I know many times. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing it right now. <laughs> oh dear. Right. Uh, there we go. Hades Nebula. Too hard. Let's move along. We've got one game left, um, and we'll get into that right now. So, Graham, did you get to max? Did you max out your talk in max talk? Oh, max talk for some astonishing reason that I suppose we'll talk about. This got seventy percent anyway. Yeah. So this is from Martin Webb. Now Martin Webb would later on later because this is a essentially a motorbike racing game. He later went later to do uh, Outrun and Road Blasters on the C64. Both of those are really shit. Yeah. So that that <laughs> didn't make me feel great about this. And this is presented by our friends at Bubble Bus, which is a name I just don't like. I don't like, like it either. I don't like the logo either. No, little it's a little bubbly bus. Ah, uh, no. So it's a motorcycle game. You got to first choose your play from the following um, list. Bill Bullet, Jack Flash, Fiery Fred, Pete Power, Chris Crunch, Max Talk, Harry Harry, and <laughs> Big Knobhead. Um, no, I did that one. Chunky Colin. So, so you get so you get presented with like a you know a, a screen full of helmets, not in a good way <laughs> or any kind of way. That's you know anyway. So you pick for, you use your arrow to joystick arrow to pick your player. There's no real stats on any of them, by the way. You've got no idea whether they're good, bad. Just colours, oh. coloured, coloured outfits, and just—I don't think it matters. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. It does. It they have got different stats behind the scenes. Yeah, right. Maybe are they on the must be on the instructions. Maybe I don't. I know. did I, try I and buy them, but I could only find a back anyway, of the case. So then the race starts, and so will your nightmares. Um, so it's kind of standard <laughs> pole position style layout, that track layout. So you've seen we've seen this with many other racing games. So you got the track wiggling it, sneaking its way around, and doing that kind of you know pole position style zooming towards you kind of thing. You've got a giant, giantish motorbike sprite. Your sprite's not terrible, but you've got a giant motorbike sprite for you on your bike. The ground to either side of that is bright yellow, so yellow, canary yellow ground, which is weird. <laughs> I suppose it's better than brown, maybe. So you've got a large bike, too big actually, really, when you think about it, because when you're trying to control this, it's next to impossible to control. If a mo- real motorbike controlled this badly, they would never sell them because too many people would be dead on them. <laughs> um, so when you're on the track, you push up on the joystick to speed up. Obviously, you control left and right with the left and right of the joystick. 
and you press button to change gear. That's changing gear from ear splitting to shadmock levels of whining, <laughs> which will set cats on fire. Um, it's such a high-pitched whine for the motorbike sound. It's, I've got, it's I've shrill. Got no, I've got no glasses left. Exactly. It's just shrill. <laughs> that just shattered um, everything in my house. It will. It, it'll just make... It just, it'll just make uh, Perfectly inane creatures just really hate hate on each other. It's like spontaneously you could, combust. You could trigger an you know an entire you know like the the film The Birds could have been triggered by somebody playing this game. I think <laughs> so. It's awful to control, quite floaty and quite naff. And the, you don't need floaty controls. A motorbike game needs to be responsive. So when you move left and right, even on the straights, it's got to just go left and right and stop. If you go left on a motorbike and then right yourself back in the middle, it doesn't sort of float around for a second. It, it has that kind of floaty feel, which is terrible. So the enemy sprites that your enemy sprites, your competition in the race, are just single colour blocks of ham that seem to float past and make <laughs> noises at you. Um, like a little bubble appears if you happen to bump into them, and obviously you can bump and try and navigate. The idea is to obviously win the stages of the race. The race is in timed stages, so not that you'll know any of that really till you come off, but there is a little UI at the top that sort of gives you some of that, obviously, the parameters of the game. Um so obviously the idea is you've got to navigate your way through the, I think there's six or seven stages. I can't remember because this a map screen comes up. When you look at this map, you're like, that that isn't a motorcycle map. That looks like a map of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. It's just these, these really square corners. No wonder the corners are hard to navigate. This look right angles. That's that's navigationally challenging for anyone on a motorbike like that. Um, so obviously you're in a race and you're zooming about. So you float about of in true tradition of these games if you hit the you know the roadside furniture you're going to explode because as we all know you know all of these vehicles in these are very tempestuous if you hit anything they just uh-huh. explode violently and and obviously then you restart and it's against the clock and so you're not you know you're going to end up in in outrun style sort of shows you how far you got which by the way for me was never really that far um so i guess the aim of it is to win i think that's the, the aim of the game is to win that race i'm not sure which race it is i don't think it has a name um, I think it's just the race. So um, Zap gave it 70%. I wouldn't give it anywhere near that. This is maybe in the 40s, 30s to 40s at best. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to play a game like this, you'd have Super Hang On from Epics, wouldn't you? You'd play, be playing that. Super, super Cycle. Super Cycle, sorry. You'd be playing Super Cycle from Epics. Yeah. You know, if you're going to play a motorcycle game, you're going to play that. You're never going to play this. Um, and yes. there's someone, you know, why would you have it? Why? So Yeah, true. Because um, it's nothing comparison. The HUD on there shows you time, your gear, low or high, or as, like I said before, you know, it's either ear splitting or pigeons killing each other. Um, <laughs> and there's some early warning of the corners and the sort of the, the steepness. But oh, looking at the map, the corners are all steep. So, you know, there is no gentle cornering in this. You are flying around and it has that horrible way of floating you off. If you say you're turning to the right, it floats you off violently and quickly at speed to the left. So you're going to be hitting the roadside furniture and slowing down and bumping into things and not. You don't ever feel like you're in control of the, the motorbike, which is a problem in a game that's fundamentally based on controlling a motorbike. So this was just a giant snoozer for me. It was rubbish. I didn't enjoy it at all. It's, it's near near enough to full price for it to be a slap across the cheeks um, at 95. How it got 70%, I'll never know. I thought it was really, really poor. And like I said, Supercycle exists. So why on earth would you play this? Um, what about you? No, um, I didn't like this. Um, I don't like uh, the pun title. Which you know, which could be total talk, total speech. I suppose. Yeah, true. Max, max talk, but that um, it's bold and chunky, and ultimately it's not very good. Bike racing, yes, yeah, a rip off a hang on super cycle. It's not to win the race, just to get through the stages. So it's a stage based yeah, one. Even um, worse. You choose from one of seven riders. The six stages. Yeah, yeah. You got you get it through the time limit. It 
controls terribly, and I didn't like how it controls. Super, I've just noticed Super Cycle is miles better. And if you want a bike racing game, go and play that. And even if you can't get that and you want a budget title, I think, um, what was the other one? Speed Speed King? Speed King, yeah. Speed better. Out at a budget price by now, probably. Go play that. It's way better. Um, the graphics are a weird mix of single-color opponents and your strangely over-animated biker. Um, but the actual presentation of the game is really weirdly bare-bones. The title screen is... Mm. It's all in the lower third. There's yes. nothing in the top top half of the screen. It's like, you could use that, you know. You could use it for something. Why put it all down there? It's dead weird. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and, and I don't know. It would have been handy, as you said, to have some stats, because they do have stats. Um, not, them, not them looking shiftly to the right and raising their visor from time to time. They're all, mm-hmm. It's like some carry-on it's thing. It's all like... <laughs> weird it's the, these visors going up that's how all uh, motorbike races actually start they have a 15 minute sequence where they just stand there and just do just that Valentino Rossi just and, and other people just, uh, it's an odd game and it felt like a budget title but nine quid now this could do one um, absolutely and I also found the controls were quite unoptimized as well it took yep. ages to switch from high to low gear it just wouldn't do it oh, sometimes dead annoying um, and then oftentimes it would just break for no reason and I'd be pushing yep. forward and I'd be going no I'm slowing down no fun <laughs> at all no fun at all no max talk no um, no talk no switch off don't like it sounds are awful no. as well like you said just dreadful dreadful noise noise no Ugh, no horrible no max pork <laughs> <laughs> Cack pork. <laughs> More like. Yes, uh, exactly that. Yeah, that's not a good one to end on. That's not been a particularly great set of games. Well, Head Start, of Heels started, is the standout I was gonna say, champion it started, there. It started off well and then just quickly, you know, dive-bombed um into into the rest so anyway there you go that's your first five we've got five more coming up we're going to go for a quick break you're going to hear something from one of our special uh patreon only releases um and you can listen to that so we'll be back after that where we have another five games to talk about so we will see you in a bit Hearty meat pies to our amazing sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you will find bargain books, ebooks, audiobooks, and more. I think we should listen to a sample from his brand new book, Escape from the Commodore 64. Let's go. How are you enjoying the metaverse? The what? asked Sarah, stepping back. Never mind. It's a term from the future, and no one there is exactly sure what it means either, the gnome said with a chuckle. I'm a time traveller, see? Would you believe a couple of plumbers and a swift hedgehog reach the bread bin in decades to come? Sarah stared at him blankly. Can you help me get out of here? He nodded at the computer. That's your only way out. She felt heat creep up her cheeks. No, thank you, she said. In fact, I think I'll be going. Sarah opened the door to the next room, only to see three karate fighters engaged in combat before a gate and a beautiful sunset. She narrowed her eyes, taking in a cherry blossom tree, as the faint scent of lilac and rose wafted into the room. The three of them performed backflips before stopping and setting their eyes on her. Then, their pants fell down. Thankfully, they were wearing virtual underwear. Very cool indeed. Escape from the Commodore 64 audiobook is out right now. To find out more, visit davidhernwriter.com.
Hello, it's me, Graham, from Zap to the Past, and this is a special Patreon-only interview. Now, back in 2014, I was planning on writing a book on the subject of C64 audio. The provisional title was The Many Voices of Sid, and it was to feature interviews and conversations with key C64 composers about their work, their methodology, and how they felt about their place in the computer game audio history. As part of the research for the book, I reached out to a number of video game music composers across all platforms, eras, and chipsets to try and discover some notion of the history and development of what had become a multi-million dollar industry in its own right. The book was never to be, unfortunately a victim of lack of time, of a sudden raft of retro game and C64 Kickstarters, a marriage, a divorce, a whole load of reasons. That meant the book never really got off the starting blocks. However, a couple of the interviews I recorded did survive, and this is one of them. I approached a legendary C64 and Amiga composer Chris Hulsbeck, hoping to gain an insight into his world and his amazing story and journey from Starball and the Great Gianna Sisters to R-Type and Turrican 2 and beyond. This exclusive recording of that interview has never been heard before anywhere. It was recorded on a dictaphone next to a PC speaker via Skype. Shows you the kind of timing it was. So the quality of the audio isn't great, but this is a snapshot of time. I was a games tutor at the college, researching a book on C64 audio. Chris was working from his mobile studio in the USA on numerous amazing projects, and our calendars and diaries just happened by chance to really conform so we could get this interview off the ground. And our chat is very reflective of some instant rapport that I felt we had. So I do hope you can bear with the audio issues on this. And of course, remember that 2014 was a long time ago, and... But we've all been through a lot of stuff since then, haven't we? So I do hope you enjoy this interview with Chris Hulsbeck, this Patreon-only exclusive available via Zap to the Past. I uh, teach video game design for a university, and um, uh, a part of the part of the pro, a part of the course is uh, is a part on video game music. Uh-huh. And um, and this this book project is really born from uh, my inability to to be able to sort of point my students in the direction of a, a good text on the subjects of video game music. There's a um, books out there about game design and all of the mathematics and the programming and all of those sort of things. And I felt that um, there was no really good definitive book that sort of described the process of uh, not just the, the early process, you know, break back to the Commodore 64 and, and the SID chip and sort of uh, the early technological stuff, but there's no real definitive work for an educate from an educational, educational perspective and from a, uh, a regular perspective, you know, that captures the kind of uh, the techniques and the methods and the kind of the composition that goes into a lot of this video game music and I know you've been a key part of for, for many years. But there is actually, um, there are two books that I bought <clears throat> that, uh, that are kind of like this. And then the more important one is called The Complete Guide to Game Audio. Okay. Uh, by Aaron Marks. Ah, okay. And um, yeah, I have it right here. I can, I can send you the title. Yeah, and, uh, well, if you would, that would be great. So that's like one that's it's a couple of years old, but I think they're doing updates regularly. Okay. Um, and it, it describes the process very well, actually. Yeah. Um, so that might help. Excellent. And then there's, and then there's a book here by the, uh, the fat man, uh, George Alistair Sanger, um, who um, had a really very successful run in the um, late 90s, um, early 2000s with music stuff. And right. um, this is more like, um, he does like anecdotes and uh, okay. um, background info, but you, you get like, you get in information in between and he describes all kinds of techniques and adaptive audio and stuff like that and okay. the, the, the business part too and 
So it's it's another one. So that's called um, the Fat Man on Game Audio. Okay, I shall. Um, if you send yeah. me those links, I'll uh, check those down. And uh, there might be other ones, but those are the, the two ones that yeah. jump into my mind immediately. I mean, I mean, you've been doing this. Um, you've been doing video game audio for for a long time now, right? I mean, this is what, 25 I years, maybe more. Started in uh, 1985, 86. Wow. Um, when I did a um, yeah, I did a little a game for a friend. Huh. I did the, the audio for that. And then um, the, the really big breakthrough came with a um, contest that I won in a magazine. And that was music for the Commodore 64 <clears throat> program music. So um, there were not that many people doing it at the time. And I won that contest and that really started my career. So did you, um, did you program your own um, player at the time? Was that part of the challenge? Yes. Wow. Yeah, at that time you had to because uh, there was not really any commercial mu- um, music software out there uh, that could that could really like um, do it nicely. And I also, since I was programming it, I was also pushing the envelope more than other mm. people. And that gave me uh, an advantage. I think it did because, um, I mean, looking at your music specifically from a... At least on the Commodore 64, from a technical point of view, you're one of the kind of pioneers of early sampling, right? Yes, and that was um, one of the things exactly on the Commodore 64. Um, I found out a trick um, how to play uh, four-bit samples um, on top of the uh, sound chip sounds, and that gave me eff- effectively it was four voices. But then I also did some tricks with quick switching, and it sounded more like five voices. And that's what what people said in the in mm. the um, in the magazine. Oh, uh, this sounds so much like five voices yeah. are playing at the same time, and um, yeah. So where did the um, where did the inspiration for your music start? I mean, is it for the process for you? Did you did you get a game idea given to you from some some programmer or something, and you were trying to match your music to that, or did you find it was more of because your music's very melodic and really, and that's what I love about it because it's really very heavy. At least the 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 early part and the C the C sixty four and the Amiga stuff is beautifully melodic and and fantastic instrumentation. And um, did you find that that was your approach to it because we spoke to Ben Daglish and his approach was slightly different to that I'm just curious to know right exactly so for me at the time um, I started with with all this um, it was not necessarily to match the vibe of the game exactly Um, that came a little bit later and developed over the years Um, I think in the beginning it was just like you know what what kind of fun music can we make and, yeah. and then just uh, put it in the game and just have fun with with, with styles and, and and stuff like that and for me also um, uh, I actually have done this talk a few times uh, may, maybe if your university will invite me someday or so I'll do that um, with my background when I started as a, as a child um, I became interested in electronic music yeah. and I listened to you know all those Grace Kraftwerk and, yeah. and Jean-Michel John, Vangelis and Tangerine Dream, they were my, my electronic music idols, uh, so to speak, and um, the instruments that they were using, they were super expensive. I mean, you, I could as a teenager not ever dream of owning something like that. Yeah. My family wasn't that rich. <laughs> so uh, for me, the outlet was the Commodore 64, and I, um, since I, I read like in, an, in a magazine the, the specs, and uh, that it had like a real synthesizer sound chip was yeah. was waveforms and, and filters and envelopes and everything and I I thought wow this is 
pretty much like the, the synthesizers that you know my my idols are using just like in a smaller version yeah and um, that was something I could aspire to and um, I I earned some money on the side uh, delivering newspapers and things like that and then I had, had a little bit of help by the, the grandma and uh, so I, I took a Commodore 64 home and that was really like my my creative outlet so yeah. to speak for, for my electronic music ambitions so uh, yeah I, I think it's just that um, that, that that created that trajectory <laughs> for me and um, and it worked out beautifully I mean I, I love my job and absolutely and and you know um, uh, I wonder because you created quite a lot of music but I mean you're obviously still very uh, an active musician now and I imagine you, you probably play quite a number of instruments as well actually not that much I play a keyboard um, I, I, I only had like two years of piano lessons when I was five years old wow. and I I, I guess gave up because um, my grandma uh, was teaching me she was like very old school and uh, was hitting us with sticks <laughs> we did mistakes and I also wasn't interested in playing the, the um, you know the music that other people had composed I yeah. came up with my own melodies pretty early on and um, so uh, I, I, I play keyboard to get my ideas into the computer and from there massage it and, and work it but interestingly I have picked up um, a few instruments over the years just to play around with it and see what I could do and one is a ukulele really and yeah so uh, every now and then I play the ukulele on my tracks and it works out <laughs> beautifully <laughs> that's really cool now you um, one of the not I say rarer um, musicians but you've been on the, the game music scene for quite some time because you've seen it from early 8-bit like you say to Sid and then you made the transition to the Amiga um, quite successfully whereas many others didn't at that time oh yeah I mean I was always lo looking for for, uh, for the next gen and what else to do and I had just like hit the ceiling on the Commodore 64 in terms of what I could do technically and uh, also the, the thing was even though I I absolutely loved how it was going with my career and, and what I was doing at the time my real aspirations were like to do the stuff that Danger and Dream was doing you know yeah. so I wanted to put out uh, albums of my music and, and have you know work in it or have access to a real audio studio with, with high end expensive stuff so that was always the, the goal in my mind to get there someday and uh, so the Amiga was um, just an in very interesting stepping stone because it had four sample channels yeah and so it, yeah it was it wasn't really a question for me I I started I, I bought the Amiga I think in the in the first or second year after my success started was the um, was the game music stuff just to, to have it around and um, so it was already there and I still kept working on the Commodore 64 for a while because yeah. that's you know what what was the most, most successful at the time but I we could already see that the Amiga would be uh, another successful machine absolutely and then did you find that the working on the Commodore 64 made you a, a more economical composer did you have to sort of when you were when you were writing the music did you find that you um, were reusing certain parts and did you know that obviously you got 64k right and you didn't even have that maybe 4k tops and um, you know how how restricted how did the restriction guide your composition and then how 
how much how much freer was it when you got to 16-bit? Yeah, so uh, obviously um, the, from the node input data, whatever it was very sequenced, so you could um, you could reuse parts of a sequence um, in a in a kind of like a track list where you would uh, call up patterns, and um, so if you had like one base figure, so you only had to store it once in memory, and then you could call it any number of times, and you even had like I had in my system ways to transpose a figure and stuff like that so yeah um, yeah, you could work very very economical there and then on the Commodore 64 the the sound was mostly generated on the on the synthesizer sound chip Uh, later came the sample part uh, but four bit samples are also not taking up that much room yeah Um, and it was only a couple drums and things uh, so so that worked out Um, and then I I used the same techniques pretty much on the Amiga computer Um, I kept the pattern based uh, sequencing and um, then uh, just like short samples and uh, yeah so if you always had to um, uh, keep track of the memory especially when you're working in in commercial games because usually they would only allocate like 10 to 20 percent max yeah. Um, to sound, and um, the rest was graphics and program. I mean, you're. Um, I mean, you've got some amazing Amiga uh, music out there. I mean, just off the top of my head, we've got X out, Z out, Turrican, um, and these are, you know, and, and these are considered, you know, um, magnificent pieces of, of game music at, at, at that time, um, and, and they still t- stand the test of this day, right? I mean, these are these are especially Turrican. I think there's there's multiple channels in there. Is this you pushing your technology again and trying to get that bigger Tangerine Dream style sound? Oh, absolutely. The um, with the Terrican two, for example, um, we we put this. So I I already knew that it could be done more because I had done it on the Commodore sixty four. Yeah. Um, uh, and I tried it a few times and I didn't get good results with the CPU. But I had a, a friend and colleague from um, the industry who did a, a full simulation of what the Amiga was doing on the Atari ST. Ah, right. Okay. And and so he had four voices uh, mixed and he had a very efficient way of doing it and uh, luckily it was so nice to share it with me. His, his name was Jochen Hippel. Right. Um, so I, I transcribed it back to the Amiga and uh, did a couple more changes here and there and then um, I had the four voice mixer um, on the Amiga that uh, would mix into one voice of the Amiga sound chip and that gave me seven. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's a much bigger sound. I mean, even with using sample sound in that kind of way, that, that sort of um, explains the, the kind of Turrican 2 sound because it's really full. Um, and it's a, a well-matched score to the game. I think that's the the, the the general consensus. I think it's in the top, like, five Amiga scores of all time or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that Tarakan 2 title, I think, is still one of my most famous pieces. Yeah. Because, I mean, did you do the conversion for the, the Nintendo for that? Did you um, did you do the conversion of the music for the for the um, SNES and for any of the other sort of com- uh, consoles at the time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, in fact, I was actually also doing some programming on the SNES and the Mega Drive. Yeah. Uh, but there I got um, some help also from the Factor 5 guys who were, like, uh, who were, who were like, moving into the console um, space too and uh, yeah that was that was still pretty much um, the, those were like the last players that I was involved with yeah and from from then on uh, you know I had uh, usually programmers 
do my implementations. Yeah, great stuff. So, um, so you went from the Amiga, then you, I mean, how many, how many titles did you get involved with um, on the consoles? Because what we found with the, with our students is that they, they, their knowledge of games and, and the game music, which, which is lacking in some respects, um, it extends from when they first got into games. So, you know, for a lot of the students now, you know, we're talking sort of PS2, um, and anything before that is, is a kind of a footnote or, or retro as far as they're concerned. Right, and also like from that point on, they had. Um full um, red book um, you know mp3 audio yeah, absolutely and uh, they, they don't even know how it was back then and no how and that's that's kind of the point this that's the angle of this book really is to say you know um, you know for, for example on the, the Commodore 64 alone you've got I think it's on the latest HV SIDS there's 60 I think it's 55 or 56 thousand pieces of music there and, 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 there's, and that's a lot of music for you know for any any one device that's quite spectacular and um, still music being created for that and it's just that you know without there's a denial of all of that that all of the talent and musician and programming and skill that went into that and then and then moving on to the Amiga that's all vanished right you know and, and then all the scores that came through the, the Mega Drive and the SNES it, the, the, the idea of this book is to kind of put those back on the map and the composers that did it I mean I, yeah. I know you're still very active and you have a lot of music out and about now and you're still you know I know that um, you've been involved in the Heroes of Game Music project for example with, with Rick Eadie yeah 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 so it's so, just the book is really just putting um, you know ha- being able to get your um, your uh, ideas of the game music games and the game music and the industry and how it's changed um, and how you kind of did what you did into into some kind of text so that there's documented somewhere and not you know, lost in the, lost in the mists of time somewhere oh yeah absolutely and you're, you're including a lot of other people too right yeah oh, absolutely yeah um, we've had a great response to this book Chris I mean we've um, a lot of the uh, for the early part you know the Commodore 60 four composers we've got there you know um, Joan Durantel um, Rob Hubbard Ben Daglish Fred Gray awesome. um, and they've, they've all you know we've all either spoken to them or interviewed them or we've had Q&A with them similar to, obviously to what you're doing but also we're looking for new guys so I've spoken and I've got a, a workshop believe it or not with Rick Eady um, because I, I um, uh, went on his Kickstarter project and, and gave him a good donation for that to get to get your CD made so I can buy that right. CD right because I really want to hear that and also we then we've approached some, uh, some, of the, some of the bigger sort of composers you know um, I got an email today from Frank Klepecki who did the, the um, Command and Conquer music and I've got an email from the guy that did um, um, the music for the um, Lara Croft game mm-hmm. and um, Dead Space games and we've just had an incredible response from people like yourself that have you know musicians foremost um, who've composed a lot of music and um, not necessarily you know had the necessarily the coverage uh, and the respect I think shown in, in, in the circle of the industry obviously yes but I think the wider impact for students certainly on my program is that they you know that these, these music must somehow appear on these games and that these composers are invisible entities and I'm afraid that that, that, that wouldn't stand I had to uh, do something about that <laughs> oh yeah absolutely I was actually invited a few times to um, to speak to students uh, last time was just a couple of weeks ago at the uh, pop academy in uh, Mannheim in Germany yeah and uh, um, they, the students are always very um, um, intrigued and, and uh, tell us after that they had no idea how this all came about. And the thing is, you know, I, I show the history and um, how my music developed. And yeah. it goes from like my first organ recordings that I did um, uh, at home to, um, you know, how those first Commodore 64 sounded like and then the Amiga and then progress is it's like a full timeline of yeah. how things happened and 
and they always appreciate that. I mean, what is your um, I mean, what is your workflow now? I mean, obviously you had a back in 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 the mid eighties you had a Commodore sixty four, and I imagine probably a, I don't know I don't know how you, how did you do what you did in the eighties, and how do you do what you do now? I mean, this is a world apart, right? Right. Actually, uh, one thing is there's, there's like photos floating around. I actually was also an electronics um, freak at the time, and I built my own um, keyboard that I could hook up to the Commodore sixty four, <laughs> and uh, I, I mapped the uh, the keys of the keyboard to the to the keys. You know the, the regular computer keyboard and yeah. map them into my music program so I could actually play some lines. It was pretty crude and didn't work very well, but um, that, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, if you fast forward, I mean, in the mid '90s, I had I, I I finally had my big studio. I had uh, all you know like um, high-end audio machines yeah. and a big mixing desk and and all those things. I it looked like a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> um, where I was where I was working, and then in 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 the 2000s so or 2001, um, uh, it all changed again and became totally virtual. So you you could right. simulate all those expensive machines in the computer for a fraction of the cost, and um, um, that's where I'm now. So I'm creating everything back in the computer. Actually, my main workstation is a high-end laptop. <laughs> Sun, C and Chippy T to our sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com. Let's take another listen to his amazing new book, Escape from the Commodore 64. Our job, Mel continued, is to make as much money as we can and buy our way off this planet. This planet? Yeah, this is Targa. She pointed to another sign which read, Targa Tours, coming soon. Apparently you used to be able to find the means to escape just by plodding about, but the new mayor soon put a stop to that. And you've done this how many times? Sarah asked, knuckles white around the flight stick. Mel bobbed her head like the little cat Sarah's mother had on their car's dashboard. Oh, once or twice. You used to not die in this game, but... I get it, Sarah said, interrupting Nell. The new mayor. Nell nodded. Yeah, hotels are going up once he figures out how to change the graphics so they're not see-through vectors. Imagine taking a shower in this place. Sarah looked at Nell oddly and instinctively sniffed at her. With a whoosh, the craft shot out into the skies above. The altimeter whirred through a heart-pounding ascent, scenery flashing past in a kaleidoscope haze. As the mayor of Targ, I declare this book awesome. Escape from the Commodore 64 audiobook is out right now. Visit davidhernwriter.com today. What are you waiting for? Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, it was it was good. Good. More of it. If you go on our Patreon, you can hear the full thing. Full um, hour long interview. Yeah, full hour long interview. You can hear the whole whole damn lot. You can get you know the whatever. It's, what's Quint say? Teeth, the head, the whole damn thing. I don't think it's the whole bally lot. Yes. <laughs> whatever. <it is. laughs> you didn't say that. No, you didn't. Anyway, <laughs> five more games. Um, I don't think there's any crap births. This I couldn't find any, but we've got the charts. Yeah. Five more games, um, and then we're done. We're done with August. It is done. So let's get into these games. And our first game is Oink. Interesting game, Oink, um, for many reasons. So let's talk about Oink. Oink, the game, is based on Oink, the comic, which ran from 1986 to 1988 and for had 68 issues. It started off fortnightly, then went to weekly, then went to monthly, and then stopped. 
so strange. But oink, 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 was uh, pretty revolutionary and subversive for the time. Um, and I'm just going to quote, this is the bit from some interesting details here from Wikipedia um, as to who worked on it. So just to, to give some background for the game and the, and the comic itself. So so this is from Wikipedia. It says, part of its difference in the marketplace was that it attracted writers and cartoonists from a wide range of previous disciplines. It was devised, launched, and edited by Patrick Gallagher, Private Eye regular contributor Tony Husband and Mark Rogers. Although within the fiction of the comic, it was edited by a character called Uncle Pig, which was similar to 2008's Thag the Mighty. Uh, the comic also followed 2008's lead in crediting its contributors for their work which was still a rarity in British comics at that time. So the featured artists and writers included um, husband's, private, uh, husband's Private Eye colleague, David Haldane, ex-The Fall member and future BBC Radio 1 radio host, Mark Lard Riley, Malcolm Douglas, Brickman creator Lou Stringer, future Beano writer, artist Kev F. Sutherland, future Marvel artist, writer and editor and current SpongeBob SquarePants magazine editor, David Leach, future Financial Times cartoonist, Jeremy Banks, and satirical media commentator to be Charlie Brooker. All worked on this also Viz, Viz, Viz founders Davy Thorpe and Chris Donald also contributed some one-off strips as did the Beano's Tom Patton and John Gearing uh, illustrator Steve McGarry was an occasional contributor including creating front covers for two issues so there's a lot of names here in the co- in the British comic world and, and British sort of world of satire and everything so you can see kind of why this was seen as a little bit different and it was they got into trouble um one of the things they did get in trouble i, I posted this in so I'll, I'll stick this out on twitter where everyone we put it is they there's a story called janet and john and the parachute jump um did you have a look at it in the agenda yeah it's hilarious good isn't it <laughs> so so it was based so the janet and john were a series of books they you know, very british books janet and john adventures well they did a parody of that um with his parachute jump goes <laughs> well not wrong but anyway uh and that that basically got um, got them in some trouble. They got taken to court. They they eventually they 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 were found not guilty of anything. But because of the uh, nature of it, uh, they saw the magazine end up on the top shelf, which damaged sales because it was out of the comic range of kids and stuff like that. And maybe because of that, I don't think I was ever aware of this 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 comic. It's not I wasn't really massively into comics, I suppose. So and if I was looking on the top shelf, it was for other stuff. Um, let's just leave it at that. And <laughs> thus, um, my knowledge of the game is, is equally sparse. Um, so the game was created by John Williams. Williams. Uh, and John Williams previously done night games. Um, so that's pretty decent. It also done a game called Legend of the Nooker Hole, mm. which sounds painful. Sounds very horrible, painful. <laughs> which I've never heard of anyway. So this is a multi-part game uh, where you take the role of Uncle Pig uh, and you have to prepare the next edition of the comic, which is issue 100 uh, in time for publication. The game starts with a stats page showing the date the date so on the right hand side there's some stats essentially and it shows the date the date of the next publication and the time of day where you're at along with the page number you're looking at and the magazine circulation so these figures and stats they stay there on the right most of the time perhaps when you're playing the games um on the left is the mini game progress so you, you when you press fire you start you, you start the game and you get a series of stats again on the left you get high scores for the three mini games that the game has at the top um and instructions to start or end the game so you move if you move the joystick up or down this takes you to the various pages in the comic so that's on the left of the screen so they kind of change those stats change so you can see essentially what you're you're doing is you're flicking through the pages of the comic and you've got all of the comic pages have 10 empty panels in them and those 10 empty panels need to be filled and that's how you basically get this comic out so moving up takes you to the pages for the three games you can play um i'll go through them in a moment but you've got games pete's pimple uh, rubbish man superhero and tom thug beyond these uh, beyond this are the other pages you need to fill and they're called mary lighthouse russell grunt's hoggerscope grunt's uncle pig's page the secret diary of hadrian vile 
nasty laughs and specs joke page and competitions. You can kind of see the tone of this magazine and this is comic and, and, and the game, you know, by these titles. So a quick bit of math is you having to get 90 panels to complete the issue ready for publication. So the way you do this is you do this by doing better and better at the three mini games. So I'll go through them now. The first, so when, if you go to um, any of the three mini games pages, you press fire, you then can go into, it's basically kicks off that game. So the first one is Pete's Pimple. Uh, so Pete's Pimple is essentially crack out. So sideways breakout. The bricks spell out oink um, in the first screen, and the bat is on the left. And so essentially the ball starts flying. You've got to hit the ball back, destroy the blocks, and so on and so forth. It's, it's breakout. Arrows will come across the screen from right to left, and you can press the fire button all the time, whenever you want. You can hold it down, actually, um, and it will constantly fire. Um, you know, you'll just basically, your bat kind of opens up and shoots. So you need to shoot the arrows. Don't hit any of them. Any of them, hit contact with any of them, and you lose one of your five lives within that mini game. If the ball goes past you, you lose a life, so on and so forth. It's, it's breakout. And the ball speeds up pretty rapidly, um, and, and as a, it, the, the game gets fast, quick, quick. So to actually clear a screen is, is quite the challenge. But if you do, if you have, to, so you've got to clear a screen to get a panel on that page. So essentially, I think what you've got to do in the, I didn't get there, but you've got to clear nine screens to fill out, oh, sorry, 10 screens to fill out the 10 panels in Pete, the Pete's Pimple page. If you do that, if you do clear a screen, you also get three bonus panels and you can put those bonus panels, you can apply them to any of the other six pages, which don't have a mini game attached to them. Uh, the second mini game is Rubbish Man Superhero. And this is a top down, left to right, now imagine Zaxxon style thing, but if Zaxxon was seen from the top, so you can go up and down, and you know, up, so as in vertical, as in altitude. You know, what's the word? I'm looking, altitude, altitude. So you can move yeah, up and down, higher so and lower. Yeah, higher and lower from the actual level you're on, but you can also move left and right. But it's seen from the top, and it scrolls left to right. It sounds complicated. It's not really. Um, and you play a rubbish superhero who has to blast stuff. So you can shoot. There are stuff. There's stuff in your way that you have to blast your way through, um, and you have to screen scrolls and you fly over and under various obstacles, which you tell how high they are by shooting at the kind of like Zaxxon. If you've shots go past them, you can fly past them. Sometimes you've got to go under, sometimes you've got to go over and so on and so forth. Progress leads to panels for the comic um, and, you know, completing sections of that. There are 10 sections to get through. And, you know, if you further you get, the more panels you get for the comics and so on and so forth. The third game, Tom Thug, now, this is a top-down, like, eight-way kind of arena shooter, uh, multi-screen, where you can go from left to right and you can move around in eight directions. Um, a shooter where you navigate, it's like a maze type affair. You shoot, you can shoot some enemies, you can stun others, you collect bonuses and pages and keys to unlock different parts of the maze, and 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 you progress and so forth. Collect pages, get bonus pages through the... Uh, bonus panels, sorry, through the pages, and, and that's it. That's what you got to do. The good thing is progress is saved uh, on each minigame, so if you get past the stage, you start, at that next stage so if you clear the first screen in uh, the breakout one in Pete's Pimple you don't start at the beginning again you start on stage two when you go back to it and you need to because you're never going to get to the end on five lives because it moves very fast um, and so that's quite a nice affordance to, it's like you've done that panel right now try and complete the next one and so you progress and the screens get harder and so on and so forth every time you play a level uh the time advances by the time time by the way is constantly clicking away towards your uh deadline date every time you play a game it goes forward three hours so three hours are added onto it and i think i didn't get there but i think what happens is if you don't have the magazine the comic ready in time for publication then that's how you fail the game you'll die in the mini games but you can just keep retrying and retrying them the only way they fail this is if you don't have the comic ready i think i think that's how it works it looked that way i didn't play it fully enough yeah, to get there um but that's how it works um there's no music to speak of but the sound effects are pretty solid um i thought 
Um, and the visuals are a strange mix of uh, weird sprites uh, and bass relief, which I thought worked pretty well. I thought the visual side to this was actually quite nice. It looks unusual and it looks like doesn't look like much else. There's a strange look to this whole game and the way it plays is odd. The main dashboard is easy to navigate. Take note, Falcon, Renegade Lord. And once you get the hang of it and know that each play of a, a game advances the in-game clock by throws, you start to get a notion that getting all the panels is quite the challenge. This is a hard game and to get them all, you're going to have to do quite well it's it, obviously the problem is is this all rests on the three mini games themselves and whether you want to progress through all three of them um they're okay for what they are um although i do wish the player sprite was a bit smaller in the rubbish man and it was easier to read the heights of the various obstacles it's kind of tricky and i found myself dying a lot just by my toe catching something or trying to fly over something which i thought would be flat but it's not and i kept forgetting and, and and it's a bit of a pain to navigate through that section it's an interesting game this and i think it's had quite a lot of thought put into it um and the three you know the three mini games uh, they're all very different in tone and style and the way they play so there's, you, you know you you might find you probably like some better than you'll like others. I'd never played it. I was completely unaware of the comic. I quite enjoyed this, and I was pretty glad I found them and stunk some, some time into this. This was all right. It got eighty four percent. They liked it because of its kind of quirky originality, and I, and I can see why. Um, I think it's about a, a good score for this. Uh, so yeah, this was all right. This was strangely not what I was expecting, but I, I was pleasantly surprised about what I did get. What about you? Yeah, like you, I I never heard of Oink. I've never come across it and I've never even seen this game before. I've maybe seen it as in the adverts and stuff, but I certainly never played it. Um, so it's, it's an interesting enough take on the old kind of mini game compendium thing. I liked the way that they constructed this kind of assemble the comic panel stuff around that. The design of the game is quite innovative and quite interesting. Um, so I quite like that. The mini games are quite hard though. Um, yes. And that's a real test, you know, in keeping with this episode's difficulty level. Um, so, you know, the games do get hard when they get difficult quickly as well, especially the sort of the, the, um, a crack out clone as you say but they do look nice they play well this game is slick so there's no bugs there's mm. no no it's no, nothing it all feels slick and competently put together and they do work and the colors and everything else really work the graphics in this game are really nice the design of the game is nice and the way it looks um the main interface can be a little bit confusing in that there's but it's really fast and responsive so you soon clicking and figuring out where you want to be it's not like that other god awful thing where you know where you were trapped in the brown world of brown trying to navigate your way out <laughs> Falcon, of brownsville falcon the renegade yeah. lord yeah so um I liked the games, I, you know, of the, the Breakout Clone. I like you say that Breakout Clone, I quite like Breakout Clone. So I, I spent a bit more time trying to hammer at that. And it is tough. Um, the top down sort of scrolling one, for the exact same reasons you describe, I found it a bit frustrating in that it's really hard to touch your height when you're looking straight down over the top of something. Um, that's why those isometric sort of variants like Zaxxon have a shadow on the bottom so you can sort of you know mm. and then they tend to do that um but you know that's a small thing the third game was my favorite the berserk type one in the maze where you're yeah, running berserk, around shooting it, yeah so th- i thought that was really really good a really clever little mini game and and you know arguably a good game in its own right as well um it's quite fun and interesting i like the fact mm-hmm. that you can't just shoot everything that you've got to shoot some of the ones that kind of follow you around and you know you sort of hide them, them. Yeah, yeah. yeah stun them sort of get them to follow you stun them move around them and and the maze felt quite big when and to sort of explore all of that so i quite liked it um it is hard. It's a little bit, you know, debilitating, but it's not like you just die and then it's like, right, you're done, go back to the start again. Like you said, you've got respawns, 
you've got things to go at, you've got plenty of time to get better at the game. Um, mm. So it's not punishing you for not doing well. It's actually giving you more chance to get better at it. And you can get better at this. These are basically reaction-based games and the game is responsive to your reactions on the joystick so it's not like it's sluggish and bouncing you around take note bloody go bots um <laughs> not that that was sluggish man that was flinging you around like a bogey on a bloody piece of string um which is a strange metaphor yeah anyway um <laughs> i don't have to that. put bogeys on string a, I, I don't wipe my nose on conkers that's really bizarre if you sneeze out conkers you need to be no you have conkers on string oh, i was gonna say this although to be fair sneezing out conkers could be quite a good defense if you was trapped in a <laughs> difficult situation anyway i don't know why i'm even heading down that road well, so head, this was head head shoots out donuts True, true. So I think it's good fun. I'd never played it before. I, I, I don't know how or why it relates to the comics. I'd never even seen or heard of that. But if it's anything like the um, little snippet that you found that we can post in the show notes, it quite looked like it was quite interesting. There was a really certainly a good cast cast of characters behind the comic, enough to make this game interesting. Mini games are good fun. They're all very slick, very well designed. Look and feel is nice. I liked it. I like this a lot. It deserved its 84%, maybe even a tad higher, but it's certainly good. It's certainly good. And it's the right price for the right kind of game. You get three games really in that and three good games too. So mm. go for it. I liked it. I liked Oink. Good stuff. Yeah. There we go. Nice one to start with. That's yes. good. Let's, let's hope it continues. Long Oink. may it continue. Long may it continue. So let's see if it does. And does it, Graham? Is is Am- Amarote? Amorote? Amarote? How do you pronounce that? I'm saying I'm saying Amarote. Amarote. Okay. Well, tell us all about Amarote. So Amarote, one ninety nine budget game from Master Chronic. So it's got thirty nine percent. This is from the Pick. Well, originally the design is from the Pickfords. So Steve and uh, John Pickford both did design graphics for every other version except the Commodore sixty four. I think. Um, so clearly, I don't know, more of an affinity. Certainly in their description in their web page, they have did more the visuals. Of a, uh, I don't know if he did for the sixty version. He might have done. He might have done. I don't know. He's credited. Anyway. Yes. I don't know. He must have done them then. So this game is uh, based around the city of Armorote, which has been invaded by huge aggressive insects who have built Connellys. Colonies? Colonies. Connellys. Billy's. Billy Connellys. I thought I said Connellys. Colonies. Colonies. Yeah, that's what they've done. Billy Connellys. Um, <laughs> in each of the city's 25 sectors, as the only uninjured army officer left after the invasion, you've got a job to do, which is to go and destroy all the insect colonies. So you are the player controlling the Arachnus 4, an armoured fighting machine that moves on four legs, or as I like to call it, a spider egg. That's what it is. <laughs> an eggy spider. Yeah, it's an eggy spider. Yeah. And you get you actually get to see more of the eggy spiderness in all the other versions of this game. I'll come to that in a little bit. Um, so as the player, you must first select a sector to play and via like a map screen, and then you control the Arachnus as it wanders around the top-down view of the cityscape, attacking marauding insects and searching for the insect queen using your scanner. Um, you launch bombs, which... I just feel there's a bit bouncing bombs at that out there. So the, the mm-hmm. things you shoot, are, it's a bit crappy, that. They don't really work in the top-down view. Um, you can only launch one at a time, so if your bomb misses its intended target, the player will have to wait until it hits the scenery or bounces against the fence or over the other way, more fencing in the space again, um, before you can fire. Once the queen has been located, you can radio in to drop a super bomb, which can then be used to destroy the queen. Once you do that, you can get other supplies radioed in as well, such as extra bombs, and you can ask to be pulled out of the combat zone, and then you can even get extra weaponry, which costs you dosh in an in-game currency. So there's a little bit of upgrade tree, a little bit of wander around. The game is essentially wander around, top-down view, 
looking, killing insects, trying to find the insect queen and blowing it up. That's kind of what you do. There's different enemy types, drones, scouts, and queens. As you bomb these, you eventually clear enough, then you can bomb the queen, you can move on. So that's the game. Music by Dave Whittaker in this. The music's kind of got an interesting mix of short, you know, 14 second classic Dave Whittaker loop, and then weird in game music that's kind of got a really spooky sound, which belies the entire rationale of the game. You may as well, you could be playing a sort of spooky castle game with that kind of music, but it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, but the game itself is horrible in this state. All the other versions of this on every other platform are isometric. There's an isometric game, this. And they're actually way better, especially the Spectrum 1 to 8K version, which absolutely squashes the floor with the C64 version. This C64 version wasn't create wasn't programmed, of course, by the Pickfords. It was created by or programmed by Andrew Routledge, who did 180. So it's not like the guy can't code or anything like that. I think they just decided, and looking at the um, description about the whole game inside of the Pickfords website, they basically put a lot of time and effort into all of the extra capacity that they suddenly had on the Spectrum 1 to 8K. And there's loads of intro graphics and fancy stuff. It's got loads of presentation front end on Amaro on those versions. And then the 64 version's kind of at the end of it in a paragraph of it going, yeah, and there's a 64 version. We didn't really have much time for that. So uh, we didn't think the visuals would work in an isometric way after after the glider rider um, difficulties. So they just opted to just make it top down and just, you know, and it doesn't really work in that way. So every other version's better than this. The Amstrad versions, the Spectrum 48K, the Spectrum 1 to 8K version, that would be the version to play if you're going to play this, if you're going to go for it. Um, I don't think the top-down thing is for this is uh, is a load of rubbish. I just don't think it's really a very interesting game. By their own admission, they didn't really think much of the game after they you know, retrospectively looking back. They're kind of like, well, it's a bit dull, a bit boring, really, this game. And I suppose it is, because it's not. there's not a great deal to do outside of that. Um, so... There's perhaps an interesting idea of a shooting if you had more shooting ability, if you didn't just throw bombs in different directions. And I think, my, for me, the main issue with this game is just it seems to meander and go nowhere, which seems to be the, you know, the problem with this game and every version of this game, isometric or otherwise, is that you're just kind of wandering around as an eggy spider just dropping bombs and that. <laughs> which, you know, and if that was the game design, you know, document, and I'm sure there's probably more to it than that, and it must have taken a lot to create all those graphics in the 3D, and then, you know, at the front end of the spectrum, you get this sort of animation where the guy runs in, jumps into an egg, it's airlifted into this thing and dropped on the planet, and then it grows its legs and you're walking around, and there's even some digitized face. I think it might even be one of the Pickfords who were digitized and they blink, and there's loads of extra front end, and there's, there's 64Ks worth of extra stuff in there that they've really leveraged and thrown loads of that, loads into that. So this is not an optimized version of this game. Even if it was, the game's pretty boring. So apart from the spooky-ish kind of Dave Whitaker soundtrack, which is interesting, um, I don't think there's much to really go at here other than for the novelty value of, of looking at the other versions that we can do now, obviously, in retrospect. So they didn't put a lot of effort into it. It shows. I don't think their heart was in this game. Certainly wasn't in the C64 version because um, it doesn't really push the machine in any really decent direction. The graphics are okay, don't get me wrong. and They're, they're exceptionally good on the other platforms. They're just a bit blocky and chunky and a bit naff on the on the C64, but you can see that loads of effort went into the animation, the animation of the legs in, in the isometric version, really intricate, and it really sort of clicks, sort of clacks and scuttles about in a really nice way. There's, the details are all there. So this is just not the best version to play of a game that's not really that great. As a footnote, there's actually a 2022 reboot of this from the C64 group Elysium. Um, it's a mind-boggling conversion when you play it, and you can download it for free. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, it's just bog- mind-boggling. It's, an, it's actually based off the Atari 8-bit version of the game, and it's created by somebody 
or Christoph, uh, Christoph, I can't pronounce his name, Chris, Christoph, Christoph Dabrowski. Sorry if I got that wrong, Christoph. Um, but he was the chief programmer of a small team of people that took Amarote from the Atari 8-bit in its isometric version and made an isometric C64 version. Now, they've upped the ante on it. It still suffers what you can only describe as the classic C64 problem, and that is that the 6502, 6510 does not have enough grunt They're just, yeah. to push isometric graphics very well. So there's loads of extra switches and accelerators and things you can switch on in that version, this new version, which means that it actually runs at the same speed as all the other ones. What you'll quickly discover, though, and this is no disrespect to Christoph or anybody else, even in the blog that he's written about this, and we'll put the notes link to that in the show notes, he even confesses that it's a really odd game to have converted because it's not really... It's a bit of a Marmite game for some people because nobody really, it's not one you go, oh, Marmaro, yeah. You know, if you're talking about Head of Heels, Last Ninja, it's not necessarily going to be in the same conversation. Long and the short of all of that, it's an averagely dull game in whichever version you play. And sadly, even a 2022 reboot still suffers from that problem. But it's a bit of a footnote, really. Interesting, interesting sort of idea around it. Just I don't really know where it was going to go. Did you enjoy your time as a spider egg? I did not enjoy my time as a spider egg. This is a rather dull wander about the city top-down affair where you move slowly in the cardinal directions hunting bugs to throw a single bomb at. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> and you can only throw them from the side as well because the if they're going upwards and you're behind them going upwards, the way you throw the bomb, it'll just go past them because they're not, they don't line yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's problematic. So Pickford Brothers design original isometric of the spectrum. And it's, it's quite good and interesting. We've sort of bemoaned this in some time. So it's to see that they've ditched that view and sort of actually get, look, isometric stuff is just problematic on the season. Let's do something else. Okay, that's good. It's not so good to see that they've not considered the rest of the game because as they noted, as we've all seen, as anybody who plays this can spot from a mile off, there's, there's no game to this. It's really dull. The visuals are nice. Even in the C64 version, I quite like the animation on the legs and stuff and the backgrounds are nice. There's nice color. The soundtrack, I thought was really good. It adds a creepy atmosphere as you're going about these sort of deserted cities. But it's just dull to play. And that's the main issue. Everything around it is clever and looks nice. And then you just spend forever looking for bees. Like, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, the much. one thing I'm my life and i've said this that i never want to do is look for bees i don't like bees and wasps so actually telling me and the arrows were sometimes broken as well at the bottom they were saying tell me to go down i was at the bottom of the map i was like i can't go down yeah yeah um so you know some some there's some little bugs and stuff there i thought if they were really going to hone in on this the the, the the main idea is fine you know cities taken over by bees okay insects giant insects and stuff and you got to kill them and destroy them yeah cool okay if they'd have just gone you know let's get rid of this bouncing bomb nonsense one time i think let's just make this into something like zed or parallax you know a 360 degree shooter yeah yeah because i think that and the the because the top down worlds that Steve Pickford has created a really nice looking and if you'd have been scrolling around that in nice 360 degrees and shooting stuff and bees that have been coming at you and stuff and you'd have been shooting that I thought that could have been quite a nice visually nice intro you know formulaic too quick it'd be better than this but now nah, it's just ploddy and boring spider egg be damned who'd have thought you know if you're a spider egg it'd be boring sounds like a cool thing yeah, yeah I agree but you know like life they found a way yes exactly they, the, the posters advertising the job of being the pilot of the spider egg they didn't live up to the expectations, you know, when it you did, when you got the job, not. it was like, is no. there more to this spider egg driving? Because it feels pretty, you know, mundane. It's like, sorry, you've signed up, but there's no way out now. Yeah, you should have uh, you should have read the small print. You should have read the legal pack. Did you yeah, never watch Under the Hammer? I'm sorry. It, well, yes, it was written in spider, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I thought the spider just crawled across the paper. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. and it's not our fault. Just, just wrote, help me. <laughs> Why is he doing that? Get off. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I'm a I'm a rote gameplay mm. there you go not for us let's move along we've got three left 
And our next one is another arcade conversion. This is Metro Cross. There we go. So it's another arcade. It is, it is a port of Metro Cross from Namco, and it was the 1985 arcade game by the same name, Metro Cross. Graham, would it surprise you if I told you that when you saw this, that this was based on the Packland hardware, just with a modified color palette? <laughs> now you say that, no. Yeah, it would not surprise me. No, I didn't think it wouldn't. Uh, I didn't think it would, sorry. Uh, you take control of the runner. That's who you are. You are the runner. Uh, and that is because it's your job to run and jump. Maybe you should be the running jumper. I don't know. Um, the running so man. Run, the running man, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, so Metrocross is, at its heart, a time-based checkpoint game. You've got to run from left to right and get to the goal before the timer runs out, and it's game over if you don't make it. That's it. So there are 24 levels to complete. And the game is presented in a pseudo 3D. So whereas Pac kind of like where whereas Pac-Land existed on a single 2D plane, this exists on a five-lane sort of checkerboard where you can move up and down it um, at your will. So you kind of you know double dragon. Uh, golden axe style that sort of thing so you're moving up and down that you're legging it from left to right um and so you do that you move downward up and down you speed up and slow down by moving left and right and you press jump to you press fire button to jump nice simple controls we can all get along with them along the track of various objects some of which are bad and you need to either avoid these jump over them or whatever so green squares will slow you down trap squares will see you fall into them Mind squares will explode. All these will sort of cost you time, essentially, and you don't want to lose, you know, if you lose too much time, you're not going to make it game over. Rats will nibble your shoulders. I never saw any rats, but never mind. Hurdles, hurdles, Coke cans, rolling Coke cans come at you, and hurdles and walls are also there, so just the same as hurdles, really, just different graphic. They all need to be leapt over. If you kind of clip them, you'll sort of stumble a bit. Whilst tires, chessmen, and red cubes need to be avoided and not jumped over, so you have to go around them. Uh, there is some good stuff as well, though. Uh, there are springboards, which will fling you forward at speed if you jump when moving over them, and they're quite handy because they you know, get a good boost if you, can get, if you can get one of them. In fact, the third level is just constant springboards, and you're kind of learning where they are. Uh, it's quite a good level. Though. Skateboards allow you to navigate over green squares without slowing down. Uh, if you jump on blue cans, it sees the timer stop for a few seconds, and if you jump on green cans, it will double your speed for a bit. So there you go. That's what you can do. So as you can imagine, the tracks get harder and harder as they progress. And with only one life, um, you can't fail, essentially. If you fail, it's game over. You've only got one life. It's going to be quite the challenge to complete all 24. So this is real arcade logic. You know, this is challenging arcade logic. One life, you put your 10p in, how far can you get? So... This, what it comes down to it's something of a memory test in later levels because essentially what this is um, and we said it before about the other game that is very similar to this it's Trailblazer and Cosmic Causeway this is where they took their inspiration from I think because if you that five layer five level track if you spin that and do it in 3D you've got yeah. Trailblazer uh, yeah, that's what you've got it's the same thing just seen from a different perspective so as arcade conversions go and we've spoke at length about terrible ones uh, I thought this was pretty decent. It moves at a decent pace. It's got a nice demo mode to show you what to do. The visuals are chunky, but they're well realized. Everything looks like what it's does. It's got a consistent thematic visual style that works. Um, it controls pretty well. And the only downside really is that the original game it's just it's not really that great when it came to it. It's, it's all right. It's not a standout arcade game in and of itself. It's just okay. Um, but as conversions go, this is all right. All that said, though, there is some fun to be had here. Um, and if you want to get through to all 24 levels, and it's got to take some time and some skill and patience to learn them as you progress. Um, I don't know if it warrants the £10 price, £10 price tag. Um, 
at the time. It's an arcade conversion, so they all came with that. Obviously, I had to pay for the license. But going back to it now, I'm not sure if I really played it. I might have played it, had a couple of goes in it. I might have seen it in the arcade and had a crack on it. It's not something that I have much memory of, but I, I kind of when I played it, I was like, I do kind of remember this. I thought this was a fun little diversion. And if it came out later as a budget title, you'd probably be pretty happy with spending a couple of quid on this. Because I can see this, you know, if you bought this, you'd get some fun out of this. Because it's it's well made, it runs smoothly, it's not buggy, it looks okay, it sounds okay. It's a decent arcade conversion, which we don't see very many of. I quite enjoyed my time with Metro Cross. I was expecting it to be crap, but um, I thought it was all right. Just not worth a tenner. 53%, I can kind of see that. It's it's an average game, but it's not terrible. And I, I don't know if that's damning with faint praise, but yeah, it was all right. What about you? Yeah, it's it's a you know a bog-standard kind of running game. Proto Jetpack Joyride in some ways, I think. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a kind of an endless side-scrolling runner and jumper. Reminding me of Fungus a little bit as well. Um, yes. There's a little yeah. bit of that in there, which is probably the arcade, probably inspired all of those things at some level, really. Yes. Um, it's not graphically great, but it's not terrible. Music was a bit annoying, but you know we've come across that before in these kind of arcade conversions. It's very repetitive, though, uh, and hard. And I'm not sure that that means it's going to be A, much fun, and B, at 10 quid, I don't know if it's value for money for that as well. I don't think you're getting no. enough game to warrant £10. But for if this was a budget game, well, all day long this is budget, wouldn't it? You'd be much happier with that. Mm. Um, so I don't think it has the variety and complexity to warrant full price. So it's sitting in the wrong price bracket, but it's a good conversion. It's a decent endless runner. If you like that kind of thing, you're going to have trouble getting through it. It's going to take you a while. But in these kind of side-scrolling, jump up and down the kind of screen games, I'd probably still go back to Shockwave Rider. Um, I think I think that's a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting. It's a little Maybe. bit more about it. Um, but I suppose the different kinds of game, one's more frantic speed, one's runs a bit more pace. Yeah, I don't this, know. Is, this, is, this is a dodge game i mean it's like i said it's it's trailblazer in in 2d yeah, yeah. From a it, side it is and but i would i think i would still probably go for trailblazer if i'm going to do that kind yeah, of thing but maybe, yeah. it's not terrible is it 53 percent's about right the price is terrible though and i think that's probably what scuppered it here it was all right um but it, uh, it made me think that there's quite a lot of these side-scrolling games and maybe they are you know it put it a jetpack on his back and you wouldn't be far off jetpack joyride here would you really and everyone loved no. that so maybe this is just you know i don't know maybe there's something in it it's just not quite all there but either way it's certainly better arcade conversion than quartet by a million miles so oh god yeah i'm a better arcade conversion than quartet true that's very true yeah yeah so yeah there you go yeah, Metrocross is all right. Just a yeah. nice little diversion, but not yeah. a tenner. No. No, not a tenner. All right, our next one's a budget title, though, so let's move into that. And, well, completely unknown. This is the second one, isn't it? Second one by some people that we've already just talked about. Uh, Rastascan, Graham. Yes, Rastascan from Binary Design, coded by Philip Olsop. That's the guy that did Hyperbowl and Zub. Mm. Um, music's by Jason Brook, and the graphics here are simply credited to somebody called Lee, which I think might be Tony Lee, who's got numerous credits, but since I can't verify that 100%, I don't know. It could be Lee, could be Tony Lee, could be Bruce Lee, for all the difference it makes, <laughs> or, De- or Dairy Lee. His milky brother. <laughs> or oh, Rusty anyway, Lee. Rusty Lee. Yeah. Mary Lee. The happy version. We could go on like this for hours. We're not going to, though. Geddy Lee. Get, yeah, right. Now, that that would make sense. So, you are on board the Rastascan. That's a damaged ship currently falling into a nearby star. Possibly more like falling into a black hole. But anyway, it's crashing. Um, you control MSB, a robot that has seemingly forgotten everything except toaster repair. And 
I, I got the sense reading this description that they got bored anyway. Yeah. Um, so you need to guide MSB around the ship, completing four main tasks. That's fix the generator, activate the engine, switch on the navigation, and guide the ship to safety using the said engine's navigation. The ship is secured by doors, and you need to solve the door lock puzzles to navigate around and get on with the tasks. Now, let me just refer you back to a conversation we had about games that have obtuse door-locking puzzles to solve <laughs> to progress. I'm looking at you, V. Now, I didn't like that for that stupid reason, and this is even more obtuse than that, I have to tell you. So, you control the MSB, which in this instance is a sphere with a rotating eye, um, and control is a interesting word. It's a word that could be applied to some things. I would argue that this game is more of a lack of control, because if you happen to accelerate, um, you're bouncing around this like a pin ball machine uh, it's a little bit odd so you control this rotating sprite you're sort of navigating and with inertia based controls you can stop if you control the joystick and it takes a good while to control and learn to control this because you can accelerate really fast slow down um and you need to get to grips with that contr- those controls as i say otherwise you will be flying about bouncing off all the different doors walls and just pinging around and not really knowing what to do um the main window of the game is you floating around and flipping between the screens which aren't terribly badly drawn the main sprites look quite nice it actually looks quite nice and looks the part you've got a mini map at the bottom which, which gives you indications of something or other um but the game is really obtuse now in the zap review they described this the puzzles in this is really hard to figure out and solve and because you need to basically unlock the doors in order to navigate through and find and fix the generator and activate the engines and some of these puzzles are really obtuse i found myself floating around not really doing anything i couldn't find really what i was meant to do i saw these sort of things that looked like i should land in them and i did press the button it just made a kind of an sound nothing happened there was a display at the bottom which had i think a bomb there was like a th- sort of three indicators of something but it wasn't really clear what they were nor are the instructions very clear about what they are so i think i got kind of just a bit i wasn't sure what i was doing i ended up just floating around bouncing off things and not really getting anywhere not being able to die either or seemingly being able to kill myself in order to restart and sort of try again and figure things out the graphics i said seemed quite reasonable and the backgrounds looked okay but the controls well they're just a bit i don't like these games with inertia based controls when you've got to navigate the nuances of things and we had this with that space game that was set on the outside of another crashing spaceship in the last episode um when you've got when you're trying to navigate small tight spaces or things yeah shadow skimmer and you're bumping into things and when you bump into things it pings you off things and when you you know and if you've got add to that acceleration and you've got something and it's really hard to deaccelerate yourself if you've got to maximum acceleration in this game and you're bouncing off things it's really hard to try and control yourself get back under control of your Mm -hmm. sprite and eventually you're just going to be like well no this isn't what i signed up for this isn't i'm not creeping around this spaceship trying to fix things which in essence the program the game sounds like v the way they've described it you've got to creep around a spaceship trying to solve puzzles that's v but this is you know v with a, a ball eye an eyeball floating around inside it. it just makes very little graphical visual sense and it does it lacks the compelling nature to be able to make you give you enough affordability to control it because you can't do those things and you quickly get frustrated and think well, what am i doing what's the point of this so I, I didn't really get any further than that with it and because of that i felt like it was a bit of a miss for me anyway i think there might be something in there for two quid it's it might be worth it. it got 67% in the review. And I think their criticism was, it's just too obtuse. But if you can really get to grips with it and figure it out, maybe there's something there for you. I just didn't have the time and dedication and the wherewithal to sort of sit there and float around. I kept finding myself accelerating and pinging off things all the time. And it did my head in, in the end. Did you get anywhere in Rasterscan? No. Um, it's Lee Corley, by the way. 
He did the visuals. Lee Corley. Oh, right, there we go. So not not someone, not surname, it's the first name. Not Bruce um, Lee. So it's not Bruce Lee now. Bruce Lee Corley. This is another it's another budget title that originates from the mind of John Pickford, you know, like uh, Amaro. So it's coming from the Pickfords again. Um and he did the concept for the Spectrum version, and then obviously this has got programmed over onto the C sixty four. I didn't really know what to make of this. It's it's like the um, opening stages of Whizball writ large. Um, so it's like the opening stages of Whizball when you finally do get some control, but con- but having constantly having that inertia all the time with it. So it's kind of a weird mix of of all of it. So you're floating around a minimalist spaceship trying to fix it with little help or guidance, and you're also not sure whether the edge of a screen is an exit or a wall, and it's just not a particularly enjoyable experience. The spin of the ball, you know, the visuals are quite nice. The music's an okay constant. As you battle, just battling the walls and the controls, but it just all feels a little aimless. So at one point, I got out of the ship and couldn't get back in, and found myself floating across screen after screen of space, which obviously is space, you know. Uh, but as they you note on the blog, no, you don't want that. As they as they note on their blog, um, they, they, I think Steve Pickford's written it's originally it was originally a visual style looking for a game, and it never really found one. Yeah, if I'm honest. I so I think they, they have these ideas that like like Amaro, they, they've got these styles, but they're they're not getting the mechanics in first before they're coming up with these visual styles. And I think that's one of the weird things with this. It's a strange, uh, it's a strange thing because they got a uh, was it? They, I think they said they got a scanner or something and they were scanning stuff in and making it look at all this weird stuff and it didn't really work. No, I think this got 67% out of bewilderment rather than enjoyment. Mm, I don't really know what to make of it. 66% is two thirds and it's like, well, there's two thirds of a game here. The graphics are all right. The sound's all right, but there's no game. Let's just give it two thirds. So 67%. I didn't didn't get on with this. I just, I I don't know. I found it a bit weird. Mm, Just a bit weird and a bit bit uncontrollable and, and not particularly enjoyable. Didn't, yeah, didn't, I was didn't looking for a game, and I'm not sure where it, where I was going to find it. I was looking for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, there really wasn't much there. No. So Rasta Scan. There we go. All right, let's get into our last one. Our last one for August 1987, and it's another sizable one. It's another arcade conversion. This is Slap Fight. A strange title. I don't understand the title, but um, whatever it is. So just when you thought this episode was was not hard enough, you take this slap to the face with Slap Fight, um, which is another vertical scrolling arcade conversion from those people at Imagine. It's coded by John Megan. Uh, now, he had previously done Ark, Pandora, and Short Circuit before this. He will go on to do lots of other things as well. It's got visuals by Mr. Imagine graphics artist himself, Steve Wahid, and music by Martin Galway. Um, so this was originally released in the arcades by Taito, Taito and developed by Toplan. Potato. Potato, yes. And developed by Toplan, Toaplan. The plot, such as it is, sees you defending the planet of Orak, where mankind had shifted after their previous planet, Theon, had been taken over by evil aliens. Now those same evil aliens have come to Orak, and it's up to you to stop them. You do this by playing the role of an Alcon fighter pilot. Alcon stands for the Allied League of Cosmic Nations, um, and you fly an SW-475 space fighter craft to stop the invaders. There you go. Yes. That's your plot. <laughs> so it's a vertically scrolling shmup with power-ups at the bottom that you can activate when you've picked up enough credits. It sits somewhere between Terra Cresta and Gradius Nemesis. And we've seen a lot of games that are taking their cues from those two games, I think, at this point in time. They seem to be influencing a lot. And it's probably not as popular as either of them. And that may be because the game, while solid, I don't really think it offers much new. Um, but we'll, we'll come to that. 
So, like Terra Cresta, you fly upwards, uh, but this has wave after wave of ground-based enemies predominantly, and not anything that you would consider airborne. Uh, I seem to read that. They, they, essentially, when they designed the arcade, they wanted to fill it with loads of secrets with different bits and bobs and things going on that you could find as the game progressed. And I think all those kind of secrets okay, just kind got, of makes sense, actually. Yeah, but kind of they kind of got missed out of the uh, sort mm-hmm. of uh, the home conversions, and it was a kind of a different type of thing that that's, that was the ethos behind the design of the game that's kind of missing. So what you have here is a kind of ground-based. It's kind of like that other one we saw was Bulldog. Yes, um, so similar. similar similar to this. So it's kind of Terra Cresta, but Bulldog. Although Terra, Terra Cresta had lots of ground-based stuff. Um, there's no mm. flying enemies in this. So the enemies in this, they follow the roads and the walkways on the floor. And it gives it a slightly different feel to something like Terra Cresta. Um, so it also has, it's also different in the power-ups, which are more reminiscent of Nemesis. Mm. So whereas Terra Cresta, you get you, you upgrade the ship, don't you? One, two, three, four, five, finally to the Fiery Phoenix. This is a more, more of a Nemesis one. So shooting certain enemies, see them leave behind a star. Collecting these lights up options at the bottom, which going from left to right are speed up, shot, side, wing, bomb, laser, homing missile, and shield. Now, when you start, the second one shot is blank because that's your basic, you know, shooting. That's your basic bullet shooting because that's your basic mode. But it, it becomes available if you get anything beyond that. So if you power up wing or bomb, then shot becomes available because you can then grab a couple of stars and go back to it if you don't like what you had. So it's kind of an odd an odd thing because you'd think that the whole point is to everything you add bolts on, but this doesn't work like that. Um, so it works slightly differently. So if you collect one star, you can speed up um, and so on and so forth. You collect two and then they move along. So if you played Nemesis or you've played Delta, those kind of things. So you, the more you collect, the more it moves along and then you press the space bar and that basically... Um, activates whatever power-up is highlighted at that point um, and there you go a lot of the variants also have multiple stages to them so you can keep activating them to make them more powerful so you can get multiple speed ups you can have multiple uh, i think wings and bombs lasers you can get multiple versions of them so they sort of power up one on top of the other some of them have about three stages and things like that um and each power-up substantially changes your ship so whilst it makes it more powerful it also makes it a bigger target essentially what happens when you activate one of these things especially after side stupid but if you actually wing bomb laser homing missile your ship freezes and these other wings these bolt-on parts sort of fly onto the screen and bolt onto your ship and suddenly you're a much bigger ship so kind of like you did in terra cresta but I never managed to get more than one of them. I think if you activate the other one, then they fly off and you, you can only have one of those main ones going at any one time. And that's that's kind of how it works. So you've got to pick your sort of style of play that you might want. So bomb basically lands a bomb, kind of like Xevious, lands a bomb slightly in front of your ship. Laser, it fires an invisible laser basically up the screen and anything involved in it because your bullets actually don't have much range on them, but the laser will fire all the way up. What's your other one? Homing missiles will fire eight homing missiles in the cardinal directions and will home in on anything on screen, that sort of thing. So that's how these work work so because they make you a bigger target although you are more powerful you know it's a risk reward thing because there's you're on a c64 so screen in real estate is you think you, you get quite big it's easy to get shot there's lots of bullets flying around there are enemies coming on and they'll shoot at you and they're all dead shots so they'll be aiming exactly where you are so you've got to keep on the move the level end le- levels end with a boss at certain points but sometimes it's kind of weird and sometimes the music changes which i don't know if it was a little bit buggy but if you get killed sometimes the music changes when you get to different sections of the levels but the landscape keeps going like terra cresta black hawk swiv later down the line that kind of thing so it's not like light force where you get a level and then it'll say well done you've completed that level and you're on to the next it just keeps moving up and just keeps progressing and changing as you go as you go through it the visuals are what you would expect they're a little chunky 
but they're colourful. Um, and I thought the sprite designs were close enough to the arcades to be recognisable. It's not terrible. You know, Steve Wood's done his Terra Cresta. It looks looks a bit like Terra Cresta to me. Um, so the movement is smooth. The game plays, it scrolls nicely. It feels responsive, um, especially as you get more speed ups under your belt and you start whipping around the screen quite quick. It's a solid shooter, this is, on the C64. Not one I'd really played much of. I don't know if it's because I just had my fill of Terra Cresta and I was kind of a bit vertical scrolling shooter out by this point, maybe. But it'll, maybe I was just looking for something else. But the problem is it just feels like we've done this all before. And on top of that, it's really difficult. Really difficult. Mm. It does that thing where if you die, you lose all your power-ups. Um, and yep. what it doesn't do is that it doesn't then give you the option just to quickly grab them back. The only way nope. you can do that is if you had one in the chamber. So if you hadn't, if you collected some stars but you hadn't activated it, then when you come back, speed is highlighted. So you can grab a speed up, but you're then at the mercy because it's certain enemies that have the stars underneath them. So you can't you you kind of have to learn which ones to shoot to get the power up sort of you know uh, currency, uh, which is a bit weird. You kind of think they were random or whatever. Um, but the problem is, is that once you die, if you die mid level, you're going to be screwed unless you've got a speed up because you're just going to be able to deal with what's coming at you because you won't be fast enough um, and things like that. So your base speed is just not fast enough to, do, to deal with all the multiple craft and bullets. So in a way, the fact that it does not put you back to the start, <laughs> as some games do, which we've moaned about, this is, it, but that's almost a hindrance here. She's just not powerful enough to survive once you die. And that's a bit of a shame, really, because this is a really solid blaster um, that works just as you want it to. There's no bugs, not that I came across. It, you know, It's solid. It doesn't have that flickeriness that we saw in... Um, um, Hades, Hades Nebula, and it all works. It should. It looks fine. It moves well. The music, though, is nothing to write home about, and it's actually quite annoying. Bar a couple of jingles that you probably recognize from our podcast that I, I, rec- I recognize as they they, yep. they played. I was like, I recognize that. Um, and some of them I don't know. It's always a nice surprise to see what you've used. And they've used a couple in here. But the main tune is is weirdly mm. jaunty and, and off. And, and the sound effects, ah, they're yeah. excruciating. If you thought the Max Talk sound effects were bad, they do have the option in this by pressing the space bar to play with sound effects only, which don't ever do, ever. Mm-hmm. Not if you value your eardrums. You can do music and sound effects because the music only takes up two channels, so it doesn't take a thing. Or you can just play with music just play with the music it's not brilliant but it's the best way to enjoy this game i can it's kind of easy to see why this release may have been forgotten as it sits in a strange middle ground between two much more well-known shooters at terra cresta and nemesis i think both of those are much more well-known than slap fight is yeah. um, and the problem is, is it's not actually any better than either of them in fact it's not as you know it, it's very good i do like it it's, it'll offer you a challenge that's for sure but I think some of the odd quirks, like side and bomb being absolutely rubbish, some of the power-ups are crap. They're just, yep. they're just rubbish. You, you, you activate it when you're like, yeah, and then you're like, oh, I'm, I'm actually worse. This isn't a power. This is a power down. And the fact that your bullets don't reach all the way up the screen, which is a bugbear of mine in shoot 'em ups. My yeah. bullets should go all the way to the top of the screen. That's just annoying that they don't. And the fact that it takes ages. <laughs> this is a little thing. It takes ages for the high score ditty to end. It does to let you move on. You have to sit there and just listen to it, and you're like, it's not even a particularly good high score ditty. No. Uh, which is, you know, all these little things kind of build, sort of build up over time. Um, it's a solid shooter, but it's a victim of being in the shadow of better games by now. So it got eighty which I think is about right, taken in and of itself. Um, and I think if this had come out like a year or so previous, um, maybe this would have got higher. But as we've had, I think, better shooters now on the 64, and this is good, but even things like, you know, Firetrack, which I think I preferred as well, um, th- this is an okay game that's just a bit overwhelmed in that in that market. It's a top end, but I think looking at other arcade conversions, it's not as good, just down to it, some of its strange little quirks. What about you? 
Did you enjoy your slapping and fighting? <laughs> Funny enough, I played quite a lot of this back in the day. No idea why. Um, it's an underwhelming arcade conversion, and that's the tragedy of this. Now, the arcade is not anything that anyone's going to you know sing high praises of because it's not one that really people remember i don't think that well um and in the c64 canon it's another top-down shooter of which there seems to be loads now you know there was a short time ago we was asking for more shooters now we've got dozens of the damn things yeah yeah um but the trouble with this is it does have a number of weird issues principally the fact that it's nearly impossible which Mm -hmm. i think that I think it struggles with that. I think had they just given you a little bit more chance, this would have been really great. Um, It does have nice features like the multi-weapons. The graphics are bulky, but they're quite good. And the backgrounds are quite nice. And the enemies, although they're not really varied, they are quite hard. And there is that those weird homing bullets which drive you insane because they always seem to get you. So there's a challenge in there. But it's the upgrades that don't feel like upgrades, the downgrades. that. So when you get to some of the, when you've collected enough stars to get to some of the upgrades, it doesn't feel like you're upgrading anything. Actually, feels like you're less less capable and yeah. then when you die inevitably die you then are less capable so these games have a, a horrible tendency or this game in particular has a horrible tendency to essentially cripple your spaceship at a time when you don't need to be crippled and so you if you die you really unless you are really lucky and happen to just manage to quickly upgrade which again the upgrades don't necessarily always help you because um, even the first stage of some of the upgrades aren't upgraded enough to give you an advantage like the homing missiles when you get the first batch it doesn't really seem to fire that many of them and and the firing ratio seems to slow down the more upgraded you become so you actually get bigger and slower it's just Mm. it's a little bit odd it's like the triple bullet thing you get you know if you get the you can shoot and you get like three layers of bullets but they're all just shooting in the same straight line halfway up the screen It, it doesn't really help you and that's my problem with some of the upgrades is that they don't really feel like upgrades in fact like you are rightly point out they're really downgrades um and so it's got the kind of the speed it's got the kind of feel look and feel it's just a bit of a snooze and it's a snooze for the wrong reasons it's a snooze because you're probably never going to get that far in this because it's really hard and um it's not what you call a perfect facsimile of an arcade, but it's got all of the essential bits in there, including the weird discordant sound, as you say, that give it that kind of close to the arcade in terms of the way it plays and everything else. And if the arcade is the same upgrade tree and the same problems, which I suspect it probably is, then mm. they've done a really good conversion. It's so good, in fact, that they've converted the worst things of the arcade into this version as well, which I suspect is what's happened here. Zap raved about this. I mean, their the, the review was full of hyperbole about how it matched the arcade at last and all of this lot. And I'm thinking, well, maybe at the time, you know, back back in 1987, maybe Slap Fight was better known in certain areas than others. I never came across this in the arcades and we lived basically near, near an arcade. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember coming across it a lot. And I don't remember seeing this in the arcade club when we've been a couple of times. So I don't remember seeing it in there either. So it might, I might have, but I don't remember it. But I did play this a lot. This was actually out of Terra Cresta and Slap Fight. I played more Slap Fight than I played Terra Cresta. So it must have had something about it back then um and i guess maybe if it fulfilled my need for a top-down shooter perhaps i didn't have terra crest up i think i you know if you're gonna someone gave you five top-down shooters to play you might settle on slap fight if, with it being a decent arcade conversion and having the upgrade trees and the spaceship bolting on and some of the nice anima- animations that it has um mm. more so than perhaps terra crest does in that respect i don't know i still prefer side-scrolling shooters to top-down scroll i always have although i say that Ikaru- with ikaruga around the world that's a slightly different thing but i still and in, in terms of 8-bit and 16-bit machines i still quite like mostly side-scrollers shooters with the exception of the occasional odd one like swiv as you say or um 
There's a couple on the Amiga that stand out. There's another one I can't for life remember what it is now, but um, it's the one with the bomb, the bass soundtrack on it. It'll come back to me, whatever. Oh, Xenon 2. Xenon 2 and stuff like that. So th- there are, you know, crazy good side scrollers and stuff like that. This is in that kind of pantheon of good conversions, as you rightly point out. I think the problem is it's converted the worst parts of the arcade as well, which makes this game perhaps too hard, too difficult. Um, and unforgiving in these games, when they're unforgiving in the arcades, they are truly unforgiving. I mean, this, is even, this isn't even a bullet hell game. So later down the line, when you get the bullet hell games, they're even worse for mm. torturing you to death. And But there is that kind of re- instant replayability. This does seem to have it. I'm just not quite sure it's got all of it. So it's just a bit underwhelming, I think, in terms of the way it plays. But I'd still take it over some of the other crap we've played. So um, yeah, 80%, I'd agree with you. I think that's pretty much bang on for this. Um, so, because if it had better Galway music, that might have been pushed towards the nineties, but it doesn't. So, it would. What's the the crime of this is that Terra Cresta only got sixty odd. I think it's better than Terra Cresta. This, I think it's a lot I, better I, than I, that. I don't. But um, I think it's where you come at it. I mean, I think I, I think I played more Slap Fight, so yeah, I think maybe. I've just got a m- yeah. more of an affinity where you probably played more Terra Cresta. Terra Cresta has better music, so Terra Cresta should probably have scored higher than it did. Which, in all fairness, that is a arguably a terrible score for that game um so mm. maybe really terra Cresta should probably have been about the same as this probably about the 80 mark maybe but mm. I st- out of preference i prefer slap fight but that's like comparing apples and you know apples with green apples and red apples it's an apple at the end of the day um, <laughs> yeah they're just yeah that's what i mean to, to me this is um it's, it's too it's just a bit too similar it's like trying to bolt nemesis onto terra Cresta for some reason and then not yeah. quite understanding and then either whatever they were trying with the arcade is missing i, I don't know i bet, I bet it, it, underneath it, didn't it all have, it's probably built on that nemesis engine maybe um i don't think it is because completely different developers this was uh just got, they've obviously looked at those little potato graphics and gone for the exact same look and feel yeah i, I don't know i mean it, supposedly it didn't actually do that much in business to not many arcade boards were produced for it in japan i think it's a bit mm. of a niche title it's just a niche one it's a strange one um mm. but you know it's it, it, it it's okay it's not terrible it's, but it's just hard and some strange decisions that just yeah, kind of it, build yeah. up over time. Like, I want to get back into it quicker. Stop playing that bloody <laughs> high score tune. Yeah, but it's better. So let's say, for example, it's better and a pound cheaper than Hades Nebula. There's loads of these top-down average. Uh, this yes. is at least better than top-down average. And oh, it's absolutely. It's in, yeah, in the yeah, better yeah. league of those. So, yeah. Yeah, like you say, but odd. And like, and as you rightly point out, it's inherited weirdness. And I think that's the real kicker here. Yeah, there you go. Slap Fight. Strange name as well. I couldn't find out where that name came from. It's probably a literal translation. Or like, what was that arcade game that famously um, was translated incorrectly and then it ended up being on all the cabinets? And there's a I famous driving game. I think it was, there's a famous driving game that was, that came out and it was, they actually got the name of the arcade translated incorrectly. So when it was translated, it was on all these big arcades. I can't, I'll have to <laughs> find, find, try and find out what it was. But everyone looked at it going, well, that seems like a weird name for that. And it actually was incorrect all along. So I can't remember what it was. It'll yeah, come back to weird. me. Okay. Well, yeah, Slap Fight, strange name. Nothing on the wiki I could spot or anything that I could find. If anyone knows where the name comes from, then of course, let us know. Because I'm curious to know where that name comes because it doesn't doesn't fit, you know, the that game at all. But hey, it sounds more like... Um, Something to do with the hockey game. Yes, yes, it does. Because that's slap shot, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. That's it. We are done. What have we looked at in this episode? Well, we looked at uh, Head Over Heels, which we liked. Clever design. We looked at Quartet, which we did not like. Not at all. We looked at Challenge of the Go-Bots which again, we, we did not like. 
Hades Nebula, which was averagely annoying. Max Talk, stupid. Oink, which was clever and and would recommend. Amarote, which is a, a visual style. Spider egg. Spider egg. <laughs> Does whatever a spider egg can do, which turns out to be very little apart from throw bombs. Wander around, throw bombs at things. <laughs> and that's all I can do because I'm a spider egg. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got bendy knees. Look out. <laughs> I'm a well animated spider egg. Spider egg. egg. <laughs> <laughs> Metrocross, Metrocross. <laughs> Rasta scan, Rasta scan. Oh no, slap, fight, it'll work. Anyway, Metrocross, we looked at that, which was a very decent arcade conversion of a not particularly great arcade original. Rasta scan, another uh, Pickford game where, where they were looking for something to put the graphics around. And finally, Slap Fight, which was, you know, weird, strange, strange shoot up, but enjoyable, hard, but weird, odd. There you go. That's our that's our games. There's no crap verts, so I'm going to go straight into uh, just to say we there was another game that did was featured in this, but we've looked at it. It was Revs Plus. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, and we we kind of covered that when we did the Revs review many 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 moons ago. Um, so there was no point in going over the same thing again. It was just like we'd say the same things again. Like no, which was yeah. we didn't like it. No, we didn't. <laughs> so there you go. Revs Plus <laughs> was reviewed, but we didn't look at it because we've already done that. So go back to whenever we looked at that before when did we look at that it must have been like episode God, 10 or something wasn't it, yeah, wasn't something, it? Like that, yeah. something like that yeah uh, years ago feels feels like another age uh, jeff crammond that game uh yes and he, he right. crammed a lot into the 64 with the uh, red plus yes too much yeah. one might say it's too much perspective on that <laughs> game <laughs> too much yeah <laughs> absolutely it's like uh it's like it's the, a raga the, in, version <laughs> Yeah, it's like in in the wild, Revs eats bread. <laughs> oh dear. Um, right, we've got the chart though. This is from uh, Commodore user as per normal. So at number ten, uh, a new entry of Kickstart two. Mm. Um, down to number nine is Football Manager. Why is that still stinking up the chart? For God's sake! Mm. It's because it's it the new summer months, isn't it? It's, it's, the, say, it's yeah. the summer months. People have been playing it over the summer months because there's no footy back then. Yeah. Because you know, back then football started in September, ended in may may 10th fa cup final was all done yeah good lord um we've got two number nines so at number nine as well as executive leaderboard that's weird uh, yeah, world-class leaderboard uh, oh, no. who knows who knows well it's probably not hit the charts yet uh number seven we have four great games i don't know what okay. they are number six bmx simulator uh number five a new entry with the eyeball number four new entry with whiz ball all the balls there um that's it. the teabagging at four and five number three uh we have the milk race goodness me i know you never want the milk race after the balls um no, number two barbarian uh that's new in at number two and then newman new in at number one is last ninja of course it is mm-hmm, of course yeah that's it anything else into number 11 gunship army moves at number 12 six pack at number 13 enduro racer down from number one to number 14 wow oh, thank god yeah micro rhythm down to 15 park patrol ollie and lissa crazy coaster Olympic Spectacular. God, we're surely going to come across that at some point. I don't know, maybe. And then LA SWAT. So there you go. That's it. Um, Just to sort of say what we got coming up next in our next one, it'll be a double episode. Um, There's not that many games we've got. So what we got, we've got, uh, I think Auto Duel is a. I think that's a strategy one. We've got California Games. Okay. Okay. Biggie. Epic Convoy spec. Convoy Raider. Deathwish 3. Oh, Lord. Deceptor. <laughs> Denarius. Set our ethics to stun for that one. 
What, Death Wish 3? Death Wish 3, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd be interested in that one. Uh, Exelon, Game Over. Okay. Uh, Kickstart 2. Uh, Mr. Weems. Now, the full title of that is Mr. Weems uh, and the... Sh- uh, there's something like the fabulous Mr. Weems and the She-Vampires. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's the full title of that, I think. Right. Uh, Mr. of Nile. Uh-huh. Pirates, Realm. Oh, it's a thingy, isn't it? Pirates. That's um, Sid, Sid Meier. Meier, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Realm. Um, okay. Rebel. Uh, okay. Rebounder. Ooh, good music. Good music for Rebounder. Mm, Roadrunner. Okay. Uh, Weird music for that. Snapdragon. Star Paws. Street hey. Sports. Baseball. Uh, mm. Begone. Dusty Moore. And welcome in Slim Tim Dalton for the Living Daylights. Oh, God. Uh, Thunderbolt. Transatlantic okay. Balloon Challenge. Oh, no. <laughs> it's fine here it took so long to come because it's, it's been delivered by balloon <laughs> it's got blown off course it's developed by a balloon i think that <laughs> Uh, and finally, Zynaps. So okay. that'll be a it'll be a double episode of that one. Uh, we've got plenty of games to look at. I think it's twenty two. I think yeah, some good ones um, in there though, isn't there? Dotted in there. Some, yeah, some, some interesting cur- ones. Yeah. Some curios. Game over's a curio because that's got a really weird soundtrack. A really weird, weird sta- samples in that soundtrack, as I recall, from Matt yeah. Galway. One of the first where we did that, I think. And obviously another gold medal with California Games. Yes, yes. Well, California Games. Well, it would be interesting to go back to that after all this time. Mm, yeah, true. Well, there you go. So that's what we've got coming up. We've said our patron stuff at the beginning, so I'm not going to repeat that now. Um, I think that's it. I think that's what we're doing. That was a long month of games. It was. Uh, three episodes. We hope you enjoyed it. We're going to be getting into September next week. Um, and we hope to hear, well, so sorry, we hope you uh, will join us along the way. So I think on that note, should finish unless you've got anything you wish to add no no i think the only thing to add is it's interesting that we're now rapidly approaching towards the end quarter of 1987 which means inevitably at the end of that we're going to have our golden bread bins it's going to be a tough thing because we've played hundreds of games for that Mm -hmm. so and i think as you pointed out earlier i think there's going to have to be an arcade conversion or arcade catastrophe um award and i think so let's uh i think that's a really good idea i think we'll have to have to do that yeah cacade Cacade conversions. A cacade conversion award, yeah. Yeah, something like totally. that. I'm sure we'll come up with something. Yeah. But yeah, I think it needs to be because there's just been so many of them. Yeah. And I think I think they need to be um rewarded for their, you know, terribleness. Um they need to be called out. But there you go. So on that note, I have been Adrian Mills. I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Spider Egg. And we hope to see you again <laughs> <laughs> next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap 64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. 
Stay safe. See you next time. And remember, we play these games so you don't have to.